There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with the latest episode of Bench with Bubba, I've got a couple things to talk to you. First, Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new DFS app for prop bets. They have streamlined the drafting process and eliminated the need to do unnecessary hours of research by using only top-tier athletes. Instead of the traditional salary cap format, you build your lineup around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you need to choose 10 of the 20 prop bets, plus two ice picks that protect you from any late scratches or postponed plays. Each unique prop has an over and under point value assigned to it, and you'll be rewarded with the point value if the prop is correct. And when you use promo code SPORTSDGENS on your first deposit, you get a free $10 to try out at Thrive Fantasy. So whatever you want, just deposit $5, 10 bucks, you get a free $10 if you use promo code SPORTSDGENS. Go try it out. It's a ton of fun. You guys that like to make sports bets, same theory. They have the top players. They have prop bets over under points, totals, assists, combos, all kinds of cool stuff. Go to Thrive Fantasy in your app store uh, and use promo code SPORTSDGENS for a free $10 play when you make your first deposit. Also, talking about sports bets, if you like making sports bets, you're looking for a new online book, go to mybookie.ag. They're an awesome, awesome site run by funny, funny people, and they do all sports. They do entertainment, politics, the works. They have them all, prop bets, regular bets. We use them for the Always Pressing Podcast, Francisco Molinari coming through at uh, good old 35 to 1. Lots to like there over at mybookie.ag. When you use promo code BENCHED on your first deposit, you get a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. So if you're new to the site, you make a deposit of $100, get a free $50. Make $500, get a free $250, all the way up to $1,000 by using promo code BENCHED on your first deposit at mybookie.ag. Last but not least, really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It would help me out a ton. Um, it, it, the more ratings and reviews you get, the higher you go up the charts, the more people can see you. Uh, it really it really means a lot to me if you guys take a couple minutes to do that as I, I love doing this for you guys. If you guys just take two seconds out of your day to do that, that'd be much appreciated. Go to iTunes, leave a rating and review. Now to Bench with Bubba, episode 151 with my good buddy Toby, a.k.a. Backflip Crazy. Recapping his TGFBI team and talking a ton of fantasy baseball draft strategy, something that's not talked about nearly enough. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And this is Bench with Bubba, episode 151.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 151. Going to be joined by a good friend of ours. You can find him on Twitter, at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Bubba. Thanks so much for having me on again. Yeah, it's a blast. I had a fun time the first time. I had a fun time joining you on your podcast. So I've had a fun time meeting you at the Barf Draft. It's been a whirlwind uh, couple months here. It's been fun. Holy moly. Yeah, it is. it, it has been a ton of fun. I, uh, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast uh, last week. I just had a ton of fun going over 90-plus outfielders with you. Uh, it felt like 20 minutes, but it ended up being two and a half hours. So uh, That's what I was laughing about. I've done some long podcasts before, and I've listened to some long podcasts, and sometimes it works, sometimes it, it doesn't. And yours is like, it just felt like we were rolling. It really didn't feel like there was – I look at the clock, I'm like, oh, geez, okay. But uh, it, it was perfect. Why don't you let everybody know what you got going on because you're a busy, busy man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the best place to reach me is on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Um, as you mentioned, uh, I also have a website, BatFlipCrazy.com. I don't keep it updated as much as I'd like, but I will be posting some position-by-position uh, position rankings uh, probably later tonight. Um, so that should be available there. Um, those are probably the two best places to reach me. And then I have a podcast, uh, BatFlipCrazy. Just search for that on iTunes or Anywhere where you have a pod, where you uh, listen to your podcast, and you should be able to find it. Oh yeah, he just has a podcast. You know, he says it all nonchalantly. He only knocks out some of the best content out there. So uh, yeah, uh, I only have a podcast. So. That's awfully nice, but anybody can have a podcast these days. You'd be, you'd be surprised the low barrier to entry. It's so true, so true. It is, it is getting easier and easier. So it, uh, yeah, but I'm glad you got one out there. It's good stuff and. Uh, We'll uh, let you not have to worry about hosting for the night, and uh, I'll do all that dirty work while you just have some fun talking players. Um, cool. Let's talk about some recent news. There wasn't much going on until last day, basically. Um, and it's kind of just speculation type stuff, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he has an oblique injury. He's going to pick up activities in two to three weeks. Um, it, it coincidentally goes in play with kind of how they want to bring him up when they want to bring him up. At the same time, who knows? But, like, I even saw some beat reporter saying, yeah, the news dropped this morning. I see him out here running in the outfield. So, Take it as you wish. But uh, what's your thoughts on Vlad? Because, like, some people still think it was crazy where he's being drafted. I saw Alex Fast tweeting about it the other day. And there's just kind of all the ends of the spectrum. You know, Clay Link, who's in love with him. So what's your thoughts on Vlad? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the injury doesn't change a a ton, I don't think, um, because he was already, you know, he was already going to start out in the minors. Um, It does raise a little bit of a concern for me, though, because he did miss – a little bit last year with an injury as well. And we know that that isn't necessarily like players aren't technically injury prone, but um, you know, with, with, you know, you know, with, with the body that he has, like you just, you just never know. Um, and so I, I like him. Um, I don't necessarily like him where he's going at his ADP, um, you know, in, in the aggregate projection that I have, you know, it has him for a for a 301 batting average, 75 runs, 21 home runs, and 79 RBI with five stolen bases. You know, and so if he's drafted at an ADP of 43, he's losing you five dollars at that point. And for me, I'm just a little bit more of a conservative drafter, which which may be you know a weakness given how good some of the young talent is coming up. But I'd rather probably go with something. You know, someone who's a little bit well, better well known, um, maybe like Anthony Rendon, maybe um, as my third baseman, who will have similar skills. I don't think necessarily has the same average upside, maybe uh, that Vlad does. And Vlad could certainly destroy the projection. Um, you know, but um, you know, for me, I'm I, I'm probably not going to have him on too many teams. 
um, if any, but uh, it's not because I don't think he's a good player. It's more that I think there's plenty of talent going where he's going that I feel fine grabbing it. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at with you. I somehow had him in the bar league. I think I got him to like at the end of the third or fourth round, so I kind of felt like it was kind of worth the gamble, but I still wasn't comfortable with it. And injuries like this are going to, going to happen more and more with him. I was making a joke with – might have been Eno Saris in the last – I can't remember who it was, but it was about – uh, being Giants fans and seeing fat third basemen and seeing how hurt they get all the time. Yeah, so, I remember that. Yeah, that was with Eno. Yeah, so I, I've, I've seen this happen before, and as a big guy like myself, we kind of get hurt doing stupid things because we're not meant to be doing athletic activities too much. So um, that does concern me all the time. It's like people say he's super agile, he's this, that, and he is, but it's still, you know, your body's not supposed to look like that if you're supposed to be making high agility moves. Um, and I, I'm looking at I just pulled up my, my third base rankings. I had him going eighth out of my th- – I had – Suarez, Rendon, and even Javi Baez going in front of them. And I almost put Chapman in front of them just because I like the stability of the kind of you were saying um, over him. I think I took him in barf because of the OBP aspect of it. But the more I look at him, I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. But it was fun while we were there. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it works. Hopefully it's just kind of a, a no big deal and he's going to be, be on schedule to join the, uh, the Jays in the middle of the end of April, something like that. All right, uh, Adam Jones. This is kind of an interesting one because I took him with like my 28th or 29th overall pick in uh, TGFBI just as a flyer. He signs with the D-backs, and it's like one of the few teams where I wasn't super stoked on him going to. What's your thoughts on Adam Jones joining the Diamondbacks? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just not a fan of Jones. Like his year last year was pretty poor. I mean, he ended up with more than 600 plate appearances. The batting average was okay at 281, which is nice. Um, but, you know, only 15 home runs, pretty middling uh, counting stats, you know, the runs and RBI totals, you know, seven stolen bases isn't isn't terrible, but he's not a guy who has good plate discipline. He never has, um, you know, the contact skills are pretty good, but the power is the biggest concern for me, you know, 15 home runs. Um, and he actually, he actually only had 13.6 expected home runs, according to X stats. And they also said that he got a little bit lucky on balls in play at 273 expected average, but close enough. So, you know, I just don't see the upside necessarily that I see with other picks um, going in, um, you know, uh, probably around where he'll end up going in drafts at this point. I mean, he's at pick 319, so, you know, it's pretty, pretty far into the draft. But, you know, in that position, I might be looking for a younger guy with more upside. I think he's on the decline and I don't necessarily see, you know, normally, what is he like, 30, 35 or something like that? Um, yeah, yeah, he's pretty, yeah 30, pretty 33, going to be 34 during the season. Like your skills generally don't improve at that point in your career. They're generally going downhill. So I, I'm probably not going to go after him, but. You know, my, my valuation for him does, you know, the projection that I have for him, which I don't necessarily agree with, but it has him as a $7 player at a $2 cost. So that's some pretty good value right there. I just don't think I'm going to be targeting him probably. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the, kind of what's going around him is the interesting part. I feel like at the TGFBI ADP, he's going around pick 353, and right, right before him, you had like Lewis Prince and Franchi Cordero. Right behind him, you had guys like Longo, Brett Gardner, Jung Ho Kang. Those are kind of the bats that are going around him. So – Outside of Longo and Gardner, some younger kind of flyer type plays are like you're mentioning. So it is interesting in NFBC since February 15th, he's going about 303. So I'm curious to see where it'll go. Um, I did pull up roster resource real quick. It finally finished loading, and currently he's their fourth outfielder off the bench. So 
it, it, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But in front of him, you have Cattell Marte. There's still st- theories that with the signing of Jones, maybe Marte comes back to the infield. I don't know how that's going to work out. But, uh, yeah, Peralta and C- Steven Souza are pretty much locks where they're at. All right, let's let's talk some TGFBI. Again, like you like to, you said on your podcast, and I like to do every time I talk about TGFBI, thank you, Justin Mason, for putting on an awesome deal. If people don't know what it is, it's a 22-league, 15-team league league. And um, it, it's pretty darn awesome. And it gets all the industry people that want to be in it are in it. And it's, it's pretty pretty cool. Second year in existence. And one of the cool parts about having you on, besides just being you, is you won your league last year. So first off, what I say, what do you think was like the turning point or what was the main factor to you winning your league last year? Oh, man, that is a good question. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I sometimes wonder how I tied for first. I mean, just for context, like I finished 25th or 23rd in the overall, I think. So technically speaking, I wasn't one of the top uh, 15 teams, just to be honest. Um, and Brant Chesser, who um, who I tied, I, we tied in first place, you know, exact same number of points. We were like even through two tiebreakers or something like that. Um, uh, he actually finished higher in the overall than I did. So I'll put that in there as context. I actually don't know because my first draft pick was Jose Altuve. I also had Carlos Martinez, who pitched super well at the beginning of the year, but you know was gone for most of the rest of the year. I also had Elvis Andrews, who was like a huge a huge dud. Um, so when I think back of it, I drafted Alex Bregman. So I was super high on Bregman last year. I drafted him at, at pick 29 and that was huge for me. I also picked up Max Muncy during the season, which was key. And then I rode Luis Severino's first half, like his second half really hurt me, but I didn't have him in my lineup for a lot of like September. And so I didn't get, you know, like the, well, I got pretty decent blow. Uh, but my pitching was terrible. Like I think I was like, I probably, my offense was very, very good. It was really well balanced. Um, my pitching was not very good, but my offense was able to carry me with, with some, I think key pickups. And um, I, did I pick up? Yeah, I think, uh, yes, I got Adalberto Mondesi in that league too. Um, that was super, super helpful. I want to say I had Adalberto Mondesi in that league. Yeah, I think so. So that was, that was help. That was very helpful. Um you know, and making up some ground. So I think I got a little lucky, uh, if I'm honest. Um, but it was a it was a lot of fun. It was a tough league. So very excited to be playing in the Champions League. Yeah, you're one of the the big boys in the Champions League, and it, it is loaded as people expect. The, the smallest of the big boys. Let me tell you some of the names that are in there, household names. Yeah, you are also you're always so humble. Um, I pulled up the uh, the draft board on the TGFBI link, and the only thing that's bugging me, and it's not just this league, it's all of them is they don't have any of the names there anymore. So I don't know who's who, teams 1 through 15. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to go back to your your last year. And there is a lot, like, I don't want to say you were lucky because that just that downplays all the, the the work you put into it. But I know what you're saying as a guy that plays a lot. There is a lot of luck in, like, okay, did you win that fab? Did you do this? Like, there's things that have to bounce your direction in a season that's, like, six months long. There's a lot of things that have to go your way. Um, but at the same time, you put the work in to do it. When you're doing fab, like this is kind of a thing. It's more and more prevalent. There's not very many leagues anymore that don't do fab, and it was kind of the opposite for a long time. Um, and and you, one thing that your your podcast does, and you tweet about a lot with your deals, is kind of trying to get on guys early and be that week or two early, so you don't have to pay for them. Like Smata tweeted out a list of um, 
his fab picks last year. He's in the Champions League with you. And he had he got Alberto for $0. Like, he had all these guys super cheap. And some worked, some didn't. But those ones that worked were tremendous. When you're doing your fab process, what do you go through? Because I, I get really envious of you guys that can look ahead like two weeks early and figure this stuff out. And I'm literally going to sit back and listen like I'm a listener. What do you do to make this happen? Um, yeah, so I think there's a few components to it. Uh, you know, number one, I think, is just like the the research to know what might be happening. So number one, like, you know, I'm on Twitter and I'm following what's happening. I'm following the news. I'm thinking about like, all right, you know, if that ends up happening like they say it's going to happen, you know, what does that mean for X players playing time? But I think more than that. So one of the things that I'm always do, like I love the um, leaderboards at Fangraphs. And so what I'll frequently do is I have kind of four things that I like to look at a lot. I like to look at O-swing, which is kind of like a proxy for plate discipline. So how frequently does a player swing at a pitch outside the zone? I like to look at contact rate, um, uh, Z contact in particular. So in zone contact rate. So if a player is swinging at a pitch in the zone, how, much, how often do they make contact? Essentially a proxy for, you know, putting balls in play, uh, which is good for batting average. I look at hard hit rate, you know, quality of contact metrics. And then I look at ground ball and fly, fly ball rates. So low ground ball rates, higher fly ball rates, but not too high. Um, and I just kind of try to try to look at the names that are on that list. A lot of them are guys that are already taken, obviously. But then you'll see kind of interesting people show up on there, um, you know, and, and if they can have a sustained presence and I may do a little bit of further investigation, you know, okay, like where are they batting in the batting lineup or where are they batting in the lineup? You know, who's around them? Um, you know, do they have any other history of, of being successful in this particular thing? So I'm always looking at those leaderboards. Like literally I do that multiple times a week where I'll just look through them and I'll scroll through them and I'll go all the way from the top maybe to league average to see what, just to kind of identify guys. And then one thing, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I send out like every week I send out an ex-WOBA leaderboard from, uh, from Baseball Savant and then a barrel leaderboard. And so that's like ex-WOBA, um, you know, is just kind of, uh, you know, one of the things I think that, that like you mentioned, like to save money on fab and to get guys, increase your likelihood of getting guys, you got to get them before they break out, right? And a lot of times there's signs there, whether it's improved skills, whatever it is. Sometimes like the skills improve and they break out and it's too late. But uh, for some guys, like one guy who pops out is Jesse Winker last year. Winker was really struggling and he wasn't hitting for a lot of power. And then I noticed him showing up on, you know, he's, he's normally on the O swing, but then I saw him showing up on the Z contact leaderboards. And then he started showing up a little bit on the hard hit rate. And so I was kind of in on him, um, you know, or at least like identifying him early. Same thing with Max Muncy with the barrels. So I send those things out because Exwoba, instead of telling you like what a player did, uh, they tell you what a player theoretically should have done. And if there's a discrepancy, like if I'm seeing guys on there that I'm not seeing show up in some of the outcome related things or like who aren't getting press, I'm really intrigued because that means that they're making quality of contact. They're walking and it doesn't catch everybody because it's like not stolen bases, but there's that. And then there's the barrel uh, there's, there's uh, barrels per plate appearance, just overall barrels. And that's telling me quality of contact, particularly around like power metrics and, and extra base hits. I think looking at those things, if there's guys who like are in like four of those six things or something like that, then that kind of sets off an alarm in my head. Like, 
be monitoring that guy or maybe put a push to it. So that's one element of it. The second element is I use ESPN has a fantasy forecaster that Tristan Cockroft puts out. And then fantasy pros has a weekly planner. And what I, uh, and so I'd like to take a look at that before fab, just to see like, are there guys who are heavy stolen base guys that are, that have a good matchup for stolen bases. That's the only one, the forecaster for ESPN that I know um, shares uh, that has like a stolen base number. They essentially give like one to 10, you know, 10 means it's a great matchup. One is a terrible matchup. And that also gives like the matchups for, you know, each one of the matchups throughout the week. And so, and overall. And so that tells me like, if I've got a couple guys I'm deciding on that may sway me looking at righty lefty matchups. Like that's the thing is you got to put in a lot of time to kind of squeeze out all of that extra value. And so I'll take a look at that, but then I'll also look, I'll think about who the terrible teams are. This sounds bad, but like, let's say like the White Sox, the Orioles, the Padres, you know, the giant, the giants, I'm just kidding. Uh, all of those teams. I'll actually look who they're playing the next week or the week after that. And so I'm thinking like, okay, well, here's a hitter that seems to be doing pretty well. He's got a tough matchup this week, but next week they're going against the Orioles, you know, and I want my guys in the lineup for the Orioles. And especially as we get later in the season, I'll do that more and more. Cause I know like for the teams that are competing for a victory, like the, um, the pressure is, is pretty, um, pretty intense. And then I think the last piece is just, I would say that I'm like selectively aggressive on fab. Like I'll put in a lot of low bids for guys, like maybe to stream pitchers or, to just take a flyer on a guy or something like that for a week. But if I see a guy who's got the skills and like an opportunity change, like they, they move from batting seventh to batting cleanup, or, you know, I just love the skills and they have a history of, of somehow performing, or I get a really good feeling about them. Then I'm going to go pretty hard in terms of the amount of money that I'm willing to put in um, for fab, because there's only so many real game changers that show up on fab um, and so I think that saves me enough money to like be able to do the small little ones, but then also go after the guys that I really want. And sometimes I hit some, like I went I got 350 in on Ryan Zimmerman last year, I think when he hit the waiver wire and TGFBI and that didn't come of anything. And, and like smart, I got Mondesi for like a buck. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that's a lot of really, really helpful stuff that you're, you're bringing up because I know for the Fangraphs leaderboards, for one, the graphs they have there and everything, watching you utilize those, it's like you could have done that blindfolded. You, you have quite the experience on that stuff. So um, it's pretty cool things. And I, I've been digging in more and more on Xwoba, Barrel, like pretty much a lot of my offseason stuff. I've been just like glued on Baseball Savant. It's There's a lot of interesting things you can see there. Like you mentioned yeah. X batting average already earlier. And there's a lot of little telltale signs. And I'm a, I, I've told people forever that's listening to the show is, I'm, I keep trying to learn more of these advanced stats. I was that kind of caveman curmudgeon forever. It's like, I just watch the games. I don't need to know anything else. There's nothing to it. Well, that's obviously not the truth anymore. And if you want to compete still, you have to, you don't have to go 100% to these kind of things, but you still have to have a, a basis on them. So um, I'm going to be yeah, and, more. And now you're, yeah. now you're top 15 in, uh, in TGFBI projected standings. Yep. So okay. um, only, I think that's a place good, to go, but down. Pretty, pretty good indication of somebody who's picked it up pretty quick. I appreciate that. So now um, I, I was very, very happy with my draft. We can go over my team at the end, just kind of real quickly. You can you can pick it apart. The problem is you're too nice, so you probably won't pick it apart. But uh, um, we we can already, go over. I already talked trash about Vlad Jr. and Adam Jones, who apparently are both on your uh, your Barfley roster. So I felt bad about that. Oh, good. I, I want this. Like I love constructive criticism. Bring it on. So uh, we'll we'll get to that towards the end. Um, like like I told you before the pod, and we've kind of already started with this. 
this is kind of be a, a fleet, a free flowing. We're going to go through your team and there's kind of players around it. Maybe talk a little more in depth about certain players than others. But the main thing is it's kind of more of a draft strategy. There's not a, a ton of like draft strategy focused podcast. And uh, I like the way you, you look at things and take the whole spectrum about it. So I wanted to kind of go through your draft, kind of how your process went when you were going about it, especially in this, this league, because it was pretty intense watching you guys tweeting out different things, all your different members of the league. And um, it's, it's a cutthroat league. There's a lot of really tough leagues out there, but yours obviously has all the champions in it. So very, very difficult. First off, which team were you? Cause like I said, I have no name. For I am team 14. So you start out with Altuve again. I, I should have asked you ahead of time. Like I should have been like, Hey, which team do you really like? On here. <laughs> that would have been a good one. Yeah. yeah. Like, rank them one through 15 and see where 14 yeah. ends. <laughs> but um, before we actually start on the players' perspectively, one last thing. What was your strategy going into this draft knowing, A, it's going to be really difficult with these guys, and B, I know you've done a ton of research. So uh, you, when you did BARF, you had like your whole, you had the game plan and you executed it very, very well. What was your plan in this one? Yeah, I mean, so going into the draft, like, number one, I think um, I know that draft order isn't supposed to matter, but I I was a little bummed out to be getting um, the 14th pick. Uh, That was my 13th choice, um, which was which was a little sad, Um, you know. So for me, like I, I much more prefer to be in the you know, uh, the first half of the draft, I think this year, just because I think a lot of my strategy relies upon getting, or not like relies upon because I can, I can be adaptive, but, um, I really like getting two aces in the first three rounds. Like if I can get, you know, a trout, a bet, a Turner, you know, uh, a Yelich or even like a Scherzer, um, early on. Uh, and then, you know, I should have access to two aces, around that same point. Although I think that that's becoming a little bit of a question mark, you know, with Luis Severino having the injury, I, I imagine he'll fall back a little bit. And so that's one fewer pitcher there. Um, so when I got the 14th pick, I was a little disappointed mostly because, you know, not because I think there's a lack of talent available at the back end of the draft, but I think it's, it lends itself much better to, um, you know, to getting just one of those elite starting pitchers, right? Um, and I was actually a prepared heading in. Um, I actually thought I was going to have to um, get two starting pitchers in my first two picks uh, in the draft. So going into the draft, you know, I really like Jose Altuve this year. I have him as like my number seven or eighth overall player. I just think, especially in a league where there's an overall um you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the scarce categories are batting average and stolen bases. And while Altuve, I don't think is going to steal those 30 bags. He stole 17 last year, and I think he's good for low 20s, mid 20s. And his batting average, he was hitting 329 before he got injured uh, last year. And so I don't think uh, a, a batting average, his, his projection is like 311. You know, an aggregate projection that I have is 311. But I anticipate that he'll hit higher than that as long as he stays healthy with is a question mark given like he's already feeling discomfort in his left side, which is great. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I was hoping Altuve would fall to me, but I didn't necessarily expect that that was going to happen because he's been going now like around the kind of 10, 11, 12 area. And so when he fell to me, I was pretty pleased, although I was also a little sad because I do love having those two aces. 
Um, you know, especially in a league like this, where going in the draft, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect, but it came became clear pretty early on that all of the kind of pockets of value that I've identified or the places where I generally have players, you know, where my ranking is higher than maybe um, the ADP and where I feel like I can make a little bit of value that all that pretty much everybody else in the draft had the exact same players and that that wasn't going to happen. And so really it was about trying to play, pick the best player at that time, really regardless of ADP, because guys could go anywhere. Um, and that kind of, you know, that that's how it kind of played out. And I was thinking that it would, it would work kind of like that. So going in, I was thinking, you know, Altuve in a best case scenario. And I thought like, you know, that I would probably be getting Justin Verlander as my pitcher. He's my number three starter, uh, Scherzer, DeGrom, uh, Verlander, and then Sale, you know, obviously because of Sale's uh, injury concerns, you know, I think uh, just on a pitch by pitch basis, I think Sale's the best pitcher in the game, but I really wanted volume up top, especially since um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get another ace. Uh, and so in, in a, in a, in my other scenario, strategically, it would have been Chris Sale and Justin Verlander that I would have gotten or uh, Garrett Cole um, and Justin Verlander, but it ended up being Altuve and Verlander, which I was very pleased about um, to be honest uh, that Altuve fell to me, although it did, um, and it played out like this. It did create some major challenges for me around this. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask how that played out. Cause I know you're a big starting pitcher, starting pitcher guy and watching you go out to a Verlander and we'll get your next pitcher's not a re- tell a reliever at the doodle in the eighth round. So I know, I know that's big for you. And the guys that went before out is pretty much your standard, what you'd expect in a draft. And then Goldschmidt and Machado went on the turn there. And then you got Verlander, you mentioned if you, you might have gone Sale Verlander or Cole Verlander, and I, I agree. I think this this two starting pitchers set up at least really, really helps because I, I was glad I did it because you can kind of – if you get two aces, you can really focus on your bats if you want and leave the starters um, as, you know, the guys on the sleeper of the bus like to call it the glob. You can just avoid the glob if you want to and go get some later. Um, what was stopping you from going Verlander-Cole? Um, you know, right there at the beginning, uh, I think it's just that I had Altuve kind of ranked higher up. So generally speaking, I think the two starting pitcher works for me because I think, you know, number one, I think that the starting pitchers this year from like evaluation perspective, those top guys are, you know, they're, they're the highest valued ones. Um, mm-hmm. if I have, if you look at my, uh, you know, the combined rankings. And so what I've done, it's nothing like creative on my own part, but like I aggregated a bunch of sections and then I used the valuation, the SGP, you know, valuation uh, with Tanner Bell's uh, uh, SGP tool to generate the the values, you know, and it's like Trout and Betts at the top and then it's Sale, Scherzer, DeGrom, you know, Verlander is the fourth starting pitcher, the eighth overall player, you know, Kluber's next at the 13th, Garrett Coles at the 17th, you know, so on and so forth. And and the numbers are pretty high. And so I just think it's like the way the draft plays out this year uh, really lends itself to, um, you know, to that strategy, because I think there's a lot of very, very good hitters that are available and there isn't a ton that distinguishes them. Right. Like, you know, like for instance, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Manny Machado, for instance, like, you know, the difference between, you know, Manny Machado and say like a, a Freddie Freeman or something like that, like is not that much, just like the difference between, you know, uh, 
Adam Bregman and or, or uh, Alex Bregman and Anthony Rizzo is in that much. No, there's like there's a lot of really compact values that maybe have a dollar or two difference among them, among those hitters. And so I felt pretty good about that. And I also feel good about some of the value picked. I actually had my first four picks planned out. I give everything went according to plan. I would get Altuve, Verlander, Bogart, and Puig. Um, and so, you know, that kind of kind of worked out for me in a sense. But I wanted to load up early on batting average. Um, and I wanted to load up on on speed as much as possible. Although knowing that, like, I wasn't going to get Turner. I wasn't going to get Marte where I was drafting. You know, some of the higher stolen base guys, Merrifield wasn't going to get back to me either. And so I knew that it was more like a balanced approach that I was probably going to have to take where, you know, maybe I wasn't going to get a guy who got me like 40 stolen bases or 35 stolen bases. But if I could put together a string of guys who are like 20 to 25 or you know 15 to 20, uh, then I was going to have a pretty good baseline. And I was I was trying not to hurt my batting average at all, because one thing I've found is as I've gone through a bunch of these drafts is like, if you're hurting in batting average or stolen bases towards the end of the draft, like good luck, or even in the middle of the draft, like good luck to you on creating a balanced team because it's just brutal out there. So that was kind of how I had thought about it. And so it's like, it's not that in any situation I would be taking two starters or, you know, that the the dynamic has changed that much from last year necessarily. Uh, But I just think that um, the valuations of the players in the current context really lends itself to that. And like you mentioned, like you just kind of press pause on pitchers for an extended period of time in that case. Um, but unfortunately I was not able to do that just with getting Verlander as my only starter in the first uh, nine rounds. Yeah. You, you pieced it together and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, towards the end of round two, you, a little bit of a rush. You had Marte, uh, Snell, then Benintendi, Blackman, Soto. A little interesting there because you see Benintendi going in front of Marte a lot. And you see Soto and Blackman kind of – that's kind of a toss-up at times. So that was interesting. And the start round three, uh, the pitchers came off the board. Kluber, Carrasco, Severino, then you have Rizzo, then Bauer. You mentioned Merrifield and his speed, Chris Bryant, then Bueller and Syndergaard. So um, six of the first, you know, nine picks of the third round, all those aces that maybe if one of those fell back to you, would you have gone then instead of Xander Bogarts? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, I think maybe if Bueller or Syndergaard, I mean, if Trevor Bauer had made it back there, definitely, because I love Trevor Bauer. He's my number six ranked picture this year after Verlander and Cole. Um, you know, Bueller and, and Syndergaard, I would have had to think long and hard about it. I do like both of them this year. Obviously, Bueller has the questions about the inning pitch, you know, for the Dodgers. But I think, you know, with some of the injuries they already have, like, you know, I think they're going to rely on Bueller a little bit more. And so maybe that pushes him from like 160 to 180. And with 180, I think it's it's going to be a really, really nice, it's going to be a nice pitcher. You should get a decent amount of wins, you know, as much as you can project those. And then I think the ratios are going to be really nice, as are the Ks. And then I actually like Syndergaard a lot this year. I think there's a couple adjustments he could make to kind of get back to the level he was before, including throwing his four-seam fastball more instead of his sinker, which I – believe I've heard he's doing in spring training. So that'll be really interesting, but I really like Bogarts. Um, you know, I think he made some really encouraging steps forward last year. His ground ball rate was down. So he was hitting the ball in the air more plate discipline improved. He maintained borderline elite contact um, and he was injured. So I think the stolen base total you saw last year, which was single digits is not a true testament to his, 
to his speed and stolen base ability. I think you're going to see him be closer to that 15 stolen base uh, total where he's been the, the two previous years. Um, and so, you know, I really like him a lot. I think he could lead the league in RBI, um, batting behind J.D. Martinez, um, Mookie Betts, and Andrew Benintendi. So I really like him where he was going. So he's been a guy that I really want to target. And generally, I've been earlier on in drafts, and so I haven't had a chance to grab him. So I wanted to make sure I grabbed him uh, when he was available there. Uh, if for some reason, right before Bogarts was Alberto Mondesi, if Mondesi mm. fell there, would you go Mondesi over Bogarts? Oh man, Bubba, these are good questions. I definitely thought about it because I do think that one of the challenges in building a team is if you don't have one of those elite stolen base guys, like it's almost like you can't take a break if you want to have a really good stolen base totals. So like, um, you know, I, I kind of went a little bit off the cuff when I grabbed Gary Sanchez in the fifth round just because he'd fallen so far. I mean, I have him as like the 24th or 23rd best hitter, I think, you know, because of the two catcher league. And so he was a huge value right there and I couldn't really pass him up. Um, but, you know, that he's not going to get me any stolen bases. So instead of going Rosario and Robles, which I was considering doing right there, you know, I went Sanchez and Rosario and, you know, later on in the draft, I was a little bit like, man, did I mess up there? Because, you know, I'm a little concerned about my speed. Um, you know, even though I've got like a lot of guys who contribute, I think I'm relying on a few people to to get over projection or to get somebody on the wire uh, in order to really meet what I want to hit in terms of, you know, my stolen base total. But, you know, that was a decision that I made that you know, was a little bit challenging. I love Adalberto Mondesi. I think grabbing him at 44 uh, would have been totally fine with me. I'm perfectly fine grabbing him right there. So if he had fallen, it was definitely in my mind as I was following like the slow draft, I was definitely having that conversation internally between Mondesi and Bogarts. Um, And it's very possible that I would have gone with Mondesi in that case, just because it would have allowed me maybe to be a little bit more creative um, and go after you know, some batting average guys, like maybe go a little bit earlier after um, uh, uh, Justin Turner, somebody like that, you know, a real high batting average guy. Um, so, you know, um, but yeah, that's how, that's how it kind of works. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that four, you had Puig, five, you have Gary Sanchez. And, and to remind people, it's a two-catcher league, so Gary makes a big, big move there. And as we'll talk about with your ninth-round pick, it's probably good you have Gary Sanchez. Oh, and, uh, man, let's not but, talk about it. <laughs> um, but after Sanchez, you went Kenley Jansen, Ozzy Alves, and then you got your boy, Eddie Rosario. So your, yeah. your, your sixth-round pick was Eddie. We know how much you like him. You took him right in front of Conforto, Conforto Castellanos, my boy, Victor Robles. Even a couple of picks, uh, Marcelo Zuna, Mitch Haniger. So a lot of outfielders went off the board. They're quite a big run, and you know outfielders always deep because there's so many of them. But at the same time, this is a five outfielder league. So if you start waiting too long, it's sketchy. So now you have Puig, you have Rosario locked down. Real quick for everybody, what is it that you like about Eddie Rosario so much? Yeah, um, and just before I, I get to that, one thing I'll say about Yasiel Puig is I think I have the minimum in the pick for him in the world with my fourth round pick. I grabbed him at uh, 47, um, you know, which is probably about 30 spots ahead of his ADP right now. But I had him as the uh, I have him as the 44th best player overall from a valuation standpoint. And I and I like him to beat his projection um, this year. And so, 
you know, I love Puig. I just think the profile is very, is incredibly balanced outside of batting average, but I don't think he'll hurt you there. And I think his swing is going to work really, really well um, in, uh, in, in uh, the great American ballpark. And so, you know, that might've been probably my, my most controversial, not that like any picks really in these leagues are quote unquote controversial enough, but I think that was kind of my biggest reach maybe for Rosario. You know, I really loved Rosario heading into last year. He had a great first half of the season and then he really struggled afterwards. Uh, Brian Slack had a tweet where he kind of pointed out that Rosario took a couple games off after injuring his shoulder. Um, And I think it was like June, like late June, maybe early July, something like that. And from that point forward, you know, his power was pretty much zapped and he really struggled with, with some of the, with, uh, with his, um, you know, uh, managing the zone, like his O swing got off the, just got off the rails. Like he really seemed to be struggling from a skills perspective. And so that was after, you know, a solid year of just putting up terrific numbers. Um, And he, so he's a guy who should hit for a pretty high batting average. He has a low strikeout rate, you know, makes a decent amount of contact swings at a lot of pitches, which I think, you know, reduces that strikeout rate because he can swing and miss. And, you know, it's just, it's just strike one. Um, He's still, he's still cutting and, uh, and taking hacks. I think he's got a balanced profile. You know, he's going to be the cleanup hitter probably or bat third um, in the twins lineup in front of Nelson Cruz. Uh, He steals some bases, you know, he's not, he's, 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 fast but he doesn't steal a ton of bases like I think you know eight or nine would be I'd be fine with that for the year but that's enough for me at this spot where he provides a pretty balanced profile and so you know just as like a sense of the league like Michael Conforto's ADP is like 104 in most leagues he went at 75 you know to Clay Link right there and that I think that's a great pick I think Conforto is uh is going to be really really good this year you know, he, he obviously struggled early last year coming back from the injury, but second half he was he was off the hook. I think Victor Robles is going to be super good. So there's a lot of um, – a couple guys that I really loved going there too, but I think Rosario has probably the most balanced profile uh, among that group. And so that's the reason why I went there because I was really trying to have as much balance as possible earlier on to give me the room – later on to make a couple moves where maybe I was getting a guy that was going to hurt my batting average or wasn't going to have as many stolen bases and Altuve, Bogarts, Puig and Rosario, uh, all four of those guys have very balanced profiles, which I like a lot. And I think they're also, you know, the valuation that I have for them uh, makes them a pretty significant value where they're going right now. Yeah, they'll definitely give you a little bit of everything, so that's it's good there. You mentioned Conforto going early. Uh, he went pick 78 in yours, and yes, Clay Link gets the, the prize for that one. That is the highest he's gone. But like I said on your show, I think big things are coming for him. He uh, came back too early last year, so I like Conforto quite a bit. Um, after that outfield run, you had a couple of relievers in Chapman Vasquez. You had Anderhart, your boy Gallo, Carpenter, A.J. Pollock, D. Gordon, then we go to round seven. We got Matt Olson and um, some more relievers come up to where you have Brad Hammond, Travis Shaw, Kimbrell, Mikolas, Wheeler, Justin Turner, Jesus Aguilar, Corey Seager, Roberto Osuna, Scooter Jeanette, Luis Castillo, David Price, and then you get one of your stolen base helps, it looks like. That's I'm assuming where you went with this, unless I'm missing something. Yeah. Um, you went with Will Myers. First off, was there anybody that was sniped from you before that, or were you settling on Will Myers? You're going, I need stolen bases. You know, um, David Price was on my radar. Um, I was hoping that he fell to me right there. Um, my math isn't very good, but let's see. Um, I think that's pick, uh, what is it, 74, 74 plus 30. 
That was pick 104. So with David Price still on the board, I was probably going to draft David Price if Clay hadn't picked him up. Um, where he had fallen, I just think like if you look at Price last year, he improved as the year progressed. Um, he started throwing a changeup more often, and that changeup was a really good pitch for him. Um, and he started throwing his cutter more than his sinker, I believe, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. And all both of those combined to really lift up some of the skills that had been dwindling earlier. Actually, in my other TGFDI, I think of like, I mean, I, I traded David Price for Fernando Rodney in my TGFDI. Um, so that didn't work out for me. Yeah, I was desperate for saves and uh, I have a, a special love for Fernando Rodney, which is unexplainable. And so that was a terrible thing. Price was having a re- real big struggles earlier in the year and the skills just didn't look good. Um, and so I, I, I wasn't a big fan of his. I wanted to just kind of sell high on him and that didn't end up working out for me. But um, I liked him just, I think, also from an innings pitch standpoint. You know, he's going to give you a lot of volume. He's pitching with the Red Sox. So I think wins will be uh, possible there. Um, and I think he's going to pitch probably a lot more loose. I don't know if this isn't any analytical thing, but he's already won that championship. You know, he put up an MVP level performance in that World Series. And I think that's going to maybe take a little bit of not necessarily the pressure, but just allow him to pitch a little bit more loosely. Uh, he went, but I was totally fine taking Will Myers right here. I was glad that he fell. You know, I think his projection is for like 24 home runs and 18 stolen bases and 500 or 50 or so plate appearances, um, aggregate projection. You know, that's really nice. I think if he isn't injured, if he stays healthy throughout the full season, um, you know, I think you're looking at another 30-20 season probably from him. His contact rate actually improved towards the end of last year, so maybe even the batting average takes a little bit of a bump. But at this point, I felt like I needed more stolen bases and not empty stolen bases, you know, like stolen bases that fit into an overall nice profile. And so I was more than happy to take Will Myers right here. Um, Just to give you a sense of like, you know, I think how good the draft was, like Victor Robles going at pick, uh, you know, 79. Gallo went, you know, about 30 picks ahead of ADP. And based on the projections, he's a huge value even going where he's going. You know, the same thing with Shaw, like Travis Shaw going there. Uh, Justin Turner went much higher than his ADP. All these guys who, like, I've relied on my value for kind of in the low 100 picks were already off the board by the time I was drafting at 104. And I was also considering Kyle Hendricks, and so he probably would have been my next pick um, if uh, Brent Brent Chesser hadn't drafted him uh, on the turn. Uh, I I like Hendricks' ratios. Like, the Ks aren't great, but ratios are going to be okay. Where they're going to be good, I think, and and the wins are going to be there probably. And so um, I feel okay about getting um, would have gotten felt good about getting Hendricks coming back the other way. But after that happened, and there wasn't many good closers left, I felt like uh, Doolittle was probably my best option. You know, there's obviously the injury concerns with him. I picked him over Yates, and like the next day, there was news that Kimbrel might sign with the Nationals, um, and I was like, awesome, that's that's great. Um, you know, I love Kirby Yates. Uh, I love uh, Doolittle. Um, I also like LeClerc a lot as well, who went a little bit later on, as well as Kniebel. And this was before Jeffress got injured. Um, so, you know, if I had to do it over again, I might take Yates or LeClerc um, with this pick. Um, but, you know, Doolittle is so good when he does pitch. I think the ratios I felt like would help out since my starting pitchers were, uh, we're not going to, you know, we're going to come from kind of a, 
not necessarily high risk group. I mean, somewhat high risk group. Okay. They're high risk, um, you know, but strong skill guys. And I really wanted like those ratios to go along with the saves. And if he get, gets me 25 saves from that position, I'm perfectly fine as long as he gets well. Yeah, no, I like Doodle, Doodle a lot. The, the Holland news is where not Holland, um, Kimball news was quite uh Worrisome. I'd be surprised if they do it, but if they do it, that just sucks. And I, I was going to ask you about Yates and LeClerc because I know how much you liked them. So you answered that one. Um, the, the Rodney Love is cool. And if you need to, you probably should just now just do it in case you get bored someday. Go um, get the Flat Bill Crazy accounts lined up just so you can uh, have two sisters, a sister account with Fernando Rodney. Um, I'd go that yeah. route. <laughs> But um, the the other thing you mentioned there was the, the ADP thing, kind of throwing it out the window, and that's something I noticed in mine as well. I don't know if it's quote unquote experts trying to outsmart each other, or that we all know we all have the same kind of idea, like you said earlier on value. It's I got to a point in my draft where you know use ADP as a tool, and this kind of just said screw it, we're going. Um, and so that that was definitely a trend I noticed in mine as well. And when you pull up um, the result ADP by Shimada, you can definitely see a a whole slew of different uh, places that players went. And it's pretty interesting to see how that all played out. Uh, after you took Doolittle, you mentioned, uh, you know, Yates and Knable and some other guys went off the board. And it gets into a part of the draft now where you really start looking, I think, more so at your needs. And you look to lock up catcher with Gary Sanchez and Salvador Perez. Obviously, you, the bad news came on Salvi. Uh, I don't know when you drafted him, but a few days later probably. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll get to who you replaced him with, but you, know, you took Cervelli later. That's a solid replacement. I know how much you like Cervelli. So not the end of the world there, obviously not ideal situation. Uh, we don't have to go too much into that, but around that, um, it went Yadier Molina, Jose Alvarado, and then you took Rich Hill, your second starting pitcher off the board in round 10. What is it with Rich Hill? Because, you know, some people love him. Some people want nothing to do with him because he's a blister god. What made you say, okay, I can take him as my second starting pitcher? Yeah, you know, I think um, with Hill, I, I just love the fact that it, when he's pitching, you know, he should give you good ratios, right? Like towards the end of last year, he was back to his his elite self. When you look at all of the metrics from like swinging strike to, you know, O swing and in zone contact rate, when you look at the spin rates and things of that nature, like Hill is the same guy he's been. And so, you know, what I, what I decided after I missed out overall on like some of the other aces and I never really considered you know, uh, taking any other starting pitchers, you know, at the kind of the three in the third and fourth round there, just because like, I think some of them are at their value, but they're not necessarily values where they're going. I don't think at least. Um, And so that's why I kind of shied away from them. And then I just didn't have a ton of really good options um, at that point that I liked a lot. Um, And so I, I was kind of, you know, no, I was I was tough. Like if you look at the fourth round, like Corbin, Clevenger, Paxton, Marquez, Barrios, you know, and after that, there isn't much left in terms of starting pitchers until these guys. And so I decided kind of at that point that I was going to go after guys I felt like had good skills that would provide me with solid ratios and, you know, strikeouts per inning. They may not necessarily give me the volume, but maybe I would backfill some volume later on or else take more of, you know, like it's, it's much harder to do in 15 team leagues, especially ones that are where the, where the, um, where fab is going to be so competitive. It's really hard to stream good, good, decent pitchers. 
But like, you know, I kind of just made a decision at that point, you know, I'm going to go for volume in terms of starting pitchers. So a lot of my bench is probably going to be starting pitchers. Um, and I'm going to go for some higher ratio or some better ratio guys early on. And so Hill, I think, is a really good example of that. Like the other pitchers that were going around this point, I considered Masahiro Tanaka. That was the other guy that I was considering. But, you know, Tanaka's ERA has never been great. His whip has been has always been really solid. Um, but, you know, the ERA isn't is a little finicky because of the home run totals that he gives up. I think he's a really good pitcher. I think he's undervalued right now. Um, but, you know, I liked Hill better for that reason, because as a pitcher, I just think he's better when he pitches. And so he's not going to get me my my 200 innings or my 180 or even probably potentially 160. But, you know, uh, I'm going to get him and I'm going to hope that through the waiver wire, Bab, and like some of the late round targets that I have that I can help make up some of that volume. Okay. Um, like Buxton, Hamilton, NCR takes some speed. Speedy guys went through there to help people in steals. But after Hill, like Eduardo Rodriguez, Cole Hamels, Chris Archer, Robbie Ray, Madbum, Pavetta, Tanaka, Heaney, Hap, Glass now. A lot of kind of questionable guys, but you, you could have took them. They went after Hill. Then he went to Joe Musgrove. I know you have a deep, deep love for Joe Musgrove. So uh, were you happy getting Musgrove or were you targeting one of those other guys that went after Hill to get back to you? No, I was going after Musgrove here. Um, you know, I feel like Musgrove, I knew I had to reach for him, right? Like, because I know a lot of the competition. I mean, like the guys who are in this league are are um, are super sharp. And, you know, and that's why I think the ADP kind of goes out the window, right? Because we all realized pretty early on that we were working from pretty similar valuations. And so instead of like, you just couldn't wait to get your guys. You had to go out and get your guys. And Musgrove is a guy that I that I've liked a lot um, for for since the end of last year. The skills really consolidated well, although the outcomes didn't towards the end of the year. He's got a really nice pitch mix. Um, his slider is very good. His changeup is very very good. Um, and so I think he has the pitch mix um, if he uses it right to make that uh, leap into uh, not. I don't know. You know not necessarily an elite starter because we haven't even seen the innings pitched yet from Musgrove, but into one of those guys who produces, you know, uh, you know, kind of like fourth, fifth round value. And so I knew that I was going to go after him. His whip should also be good. He's always around, you know, the plate. He's got a very high first pitch strike rate. He's in the zone a ton. He walks very few guys and he doesn't necessarily have some of the uh, same level of batted ball issues. I think that some of got some of the other high skilled guys that go around this area do. And so that's why I like him a lot. I did get him at 164, which is uh, about 60 picks from where at least his ADP used to be. Um, I think he's a guy that's going to move up in drafts. And, and so I was, um, yeah, I was, I was excited to, to get him there. I wish I could have waited maybe a little bit with the, with the guys that were in this room knowing in particular that some of them really liked Musgrove and knew that he wasn't going to get back to me. So I had to take him at this point. Yeah, no, I like that pick quite a bit. I'm looking, yeah, you got him at uh, pick 164. I got fortunate and got him at 216. So I'll gladly take that, but. um, Oh, for sure. I'll take that all day. Yeah, right after Musgrove went Hampson and Andrelton Simmons. So Chester went heavy on the middle infield options there and then you got a pick which i think can be a really 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 nice steal of assuming health is there and that's an assumption we have to make but that's kind of baked into the draft price you got to pick 167 
you Darvish could be outstanding. Uh, I know we're not supposed to care too much about spring, but for a guy coming back from an injury, I'm paying a little more attention. He looks outstanding right now. Um, you have to be pretty happy with you Darvish to be your fourth starting pitcher after you know taking Verlander in round two and then waiting for a while. You have Verlander, Hill, Musgrove, and now you Darvish is your fourth pitcher. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, I just felt like the 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 potential. Like I knew that I had to start taking some risks some risks with starting pitching. And I hadn't heard anything terrible, uh, the news from Darvish. This was before I knew that he was throwing 97 in the spring. You know, and, and a lot of times we'll hear don't pay much attention to spring training. But one thing I definitely do pay attention to is velocity. And I'd like to I'd just give a shout out to Jeff Zimmerman, um, who keeps a spring velocity uh, a Google sheet. So if you follow Jeff or you don't follow Jeff, like follow him at Jeff. Uh, I think it's W Zimmerman. Um, he, uh, he provides updates on, on starter velocity that's available or pitcher velocity that's available. And it's, it's a really, really helpful, um, tool in the spring. Cause it, you know, if a guy's velocity is down, that's, that's huge. Um, especially if it's down a lot, right. If we're talking like one or two miles per hour, no big deal, but if there's a sizable jump uh, or dip in velocity, then that's something And Darvish throwing 97 and saying his pitches haven't, um, you know, uh, haven't looked this good in his entire life. Like that helped ease the pain of the Sal Perez uh, injury for sure. You know, I just felt like right here, like he was worth the risk. Um, You know, I'm actually not a huge fan of Darvish. Like I haven't owned him in the two previous years, just because I felt like he, um, you know, he just wasn't like elite elite and he was going at an elite cost in previous years. Um, At this point in the draft, I just felt like I needed to take him. If Andrelton Simmons had, um, well, actually, no, I don't think I was going to go Simmons here. I was thinking about it because I knew that I needed batting average after taking Sal Perez and Will Myers as my last two hitters that I would need you know, a little bit of batting average there. So I was considering Andrelton Simmons at the time, uh, but I thought that I'm, uh, and then when he went, I was thinking, oh, well, maybe Jorge Polanco will fall to me, um, you know, but he ended up going, let's see, he ended up going at pick like 180, which is about 20, 20 picks, 18 picks ahead of his ADP. So there was no way he was getting back to me. I was really hoping he would, um, you know, but I, I'm really happy with, with Darvish here. I think he's kind of my, he's one of those guys who how he does is really going to determine how successful my team is. If he gets back to where he's been in the past, then I think I can eat. Uh, if he doesn't, then I'm going to, it's going to take a, uh, a lot of good fortune lower down on my draft board to to make up for it. Definitely. And you mentioned Allenton Simmons. You know, Chester taking him at 166, definitely the highest in any draft. Um, our draft, not myself, but our draft got him at 280. That was the lowest. So quite the uh, difference in draft options there with Allenton Simmons. So seeing him go there kind of surprised me a bit. I understand it completely, what he was doing. It was very, very interesting. And then uh, a lot of starting pitches went off the board, a couple of relievers. You mentioned Jorge Polanco. He wrapped up round 12. And then the likes like Brandon Nimmo, JBJ, uh, Jesse Winker, who you mentioned earlier, Nick Sinzel even went off the board in the middle of round 13. A um, couple more relievers. Eric Hosmer goes off the board right before you got your boy, Jake Bowers. Were you like, I know you already mentioned the idea of getting like Jorge Polanco when he came back. Were you looking at Jake Bowers in this spot or was it kind of like so many pieces got taken ahead of you? Like, let me get my corner infielder with some speed and Jake Bowers. Yeah, this was a really difficult uh, this was a really difficult turn for me as I was thinking about it. Number one, if Eric Hosmer had made it back to me at pick at that pick, I probably would have taken him. 
Um, he's already a value going where he's going at drafts at like an ADP of 167, you know, this far back in the draft. So like one pick 193, you know, he's a $15 player in my valuations, you know, and this is probably like six or $7 worth of value that clay got from drafting Hosmer. So I would have taken Hosmer just as a value pick. And that's one thing that I started to prioritize as I saw the draft board kind of playing out was just, trying to maximize the value that was there on the board because there was just so little, I felt like. And so I was really trying to get that. Uh, This decision came down to, I knew I was going to probably take Will Smith uh, coming around just because I only had my one closer and things get real kind of sketchy. And I knew that like, you know, Trevor may win, AJ Minter win, Alex Colomay win, uh, Pedro Strope win. I knew if I didn't go with a closer here, that, that there would be very slim pickings coming back around. And so it was really between Jake Bowers and Max Kepler. That was the decision that I was ask. making. It was Jake Bowers, Max Kepler, and Ryan Braun, three guys that I absolutely admire. Like, I love those guys. Those three guys, I love, 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 and they all happen to be going at the exact same place in the draft, right? Like, actually not true. Bowers' ADP is like 220. Kepler's is 240. Bronze is now closer to like 190. So Braun is, um, you know, probably the, uh, you can get all of these guys, but in this draft, I knew there was no freaking way that it was going to happen. You know, I just knew that there was no way that, that any of these guys were going to get back to me after, after, the, uh, after it left. And so uh, I knew that I was going to get Kepler Bowers with this first pick here. And that was probably going to take Will Smith, assuming that, you know, Brant Chester didn't go there already. He already had Jansen and Alvarado, so I kind of felt like he wasn't going to go with Smith. And so that's why I didn't pick Smith first. Um, you know, so I, I was thinking and, and I was like, you know, more than Max Kepler and Jake Bowers, they are many things, but batting average is not necessarily going to be their strong suit. And I, and I was feeling a little weak in batting average and stolen bases at this point. And so I felt like going with Bowers and the stolen bases, even though I think, you know, Kepler may potentially have a better year or has maybe like higher, higher uh, upside or I, I don't know. Like, I think Bowers is really good. I think there's a little bit more variance at, because of the plate skills than Kepler. Um, and then Braun was another guy I considered because of the stolen bases. But the first base eligibility for Bowers was important because at this point I didn't have a first baseman. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, the first base outfield dual eligibility kind of was the tiebreaker there. So I ended up going Bowers and I was definitely like a little heartbroken when Clay took Kepler, you know, right after Will Smith and then Ryan Braun was the next player to go off. Like I knew those guys were like going to go around the same, uh, time, but, um, I just felt like, you know, I, I was just holding on to a hope and a prayer that they'd make it back to me around pick like 120. Um, but you know that there was no, there's no chance in hell if I was being honest with myself that was going to happen. So, you know that could be a really important place right there. Like who ends up being the better player this year, Bowers, Kepler, Braun? I think you know that'll be a key decision that I made at that point in the draft. I like it. That's what I was wondering when I was, when I was looking at it. I know how much you you covet like Kepler and Braun and Bowers, a little threesome there, and, and to see them go right after Will Smith. And and when you look at the the draft board, it makes sense why you took Will Smith because, yeah, it goes quick, uh, you know, shortly after Strope and then going through 15. You mentioned Trevor May, Minter, and Cole may all go. You would have been in a very bad spot if that would have taken place. So uh, it makes sense. And that's kind of how when 
the draft dictates certain moves you have to make, unfortunately, and that's just the way it goes because I have a feeling if there were some more closers on the board, you would have still gone Bowers but then taken a Kepler or a Braun there uh, to keep going. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that all turns out. It'd be one to watch for sure, Bowers versus Kepler versus Braun, and that's kind of the decisions we make through our drafts, and that's kind of the, the good and the fun about looking back on it and sometimes not fun about looking back <laughs> on it. But uh, at the end of round 15, you got another corner infielder, Justin Smoke, who is a consistent monster that not many appreciate. Obviously, in a uh, Champions League like this, they appreciate it because uh, he doesn't go this high in a lot of drafts, but a darn good pick there. And he followed it up with Kevin PR, another guy that no one appreciates. So what's your thoughts on your Toronto Blue Jay connection there at 15-16? My one-two Toronto Blue Jay connection. Um, you know, for Smoke, at this point in the time, like – one of the things I mentioned, I was going for balance. If you look through my team, like Altuve, Bogarts, Puig, Sanchez, Rosario, uh, Perez at the time, Bowers, and, and then Smoke, you know, the lowest projected home run total of all of those guys, I think, is 18 home runs by Altuve. So I had a pretty balanced approach for power, but I didn't necessarily have a ton of, like, uh, higher power guys. And so Smoke is projected for 28 home runs this year. Um, you know, he was better in the second half. I don't know if the outcomes were better, but the skills were definitely better second half of last year. He should back clean up in that Blue Jays lineup, which isn't going to be super good, but, you know, he'll have plenty of opportunities to knock in uh, base runners. Um, you know, so uh, this was really like a home run and, and recognizing that my RBIs might be a little soft too um, at this point in the draft. Um, so that's why I um, kind of went with smoke in that spot. Seem to be the best, or at least the most reliable, in terms of power corner infielder at this juncture who plays every day and and so on and so forth. Um, I went with the Pilar here because um, you know there's some really nice things that are going on in his profile towards the end of last year. Um, his uh, he always makes a lot of contact. He always has terrible plate discipline, but he started hitting the ball in the air more, and he started um, hitting the ball with a little bit more. Um, authority. And so that uh, for me, um, you know, was a little bit of the, um, you know, the impetus, impetus for going with him um, right there. Like you'll look, uh, Cedric Mullins had already gone. He was a guy that I was going to target, um, you know, again, well before his ADP. Uh, Marcus Semyon was a guy I was just hoping and praying that Semyon was going to get to me. Like that would have been absolutely incredible for him to get there because I really love Semyon right now. And I love the Semyon Simmons Polanco, uh, you know, threesome there at shortstop later on in drafts. He almost got to me, but uh, went to Adam Ron- uh, Ronis, um, you know, two picks before me. So that was a little bit of a bummer. So I wanted to address stolen bases in a fairly balanced profile. Um, Pilar, um, uh, so, you know, here's here's a little bit of a rundown on his power metrics towards the end of last year. Again, small sample sizes applies, but plate appearances, um, he had 366 in the first half. He hit 247 with eight home runs and 11 stolen bases. In the second half, he had 176 um, plate appearances, 262 average, seven home runs, uh, and three stolen bases. His ground ball rate went from 38.4% in the first half to 29.9%, which is very low in the second half. And his barrels per plate appearance jumped to 7.4% uh, from 2.9% in the first half. And so it seemed to be a situation where he was elevating the ball more, hitting for a little bit more power. So I felt pretty comfortable grabbing him. He's pretty consistently a 15-15 guy. So he addressed speed without uh, hurting me too much. 
um, in either batting average or in home runs. And, and he's a guy who should get a vast majority of the playing time there as a really good defensive um, outfielder. Um, so I went with Pilar uh, there for, for that reason. Um, and it was interesting to see, like, after that, some of the guys who went, some of the guys that are going much later, like Greg Allen and Wilmer Flores, um, you know, they kind of hopped up in the draft. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, like, thrilled with that turn right there, but I think it's solid enough. No, it's an interesting one because I do like Pilar quite a bit. And he gets forgotten, so it's a good one. And then you mentioned some interesting picks also right before that was Alex Reyes and had Forrest Whitley and Peter Alonso, so a lot of youngsters right there. And then, you know, Greg Allen, like you mentioned, Odubel Herrera, Wilmer Flores, a kind of slew of interesting picks there. Bring Coming back to you, um, you know, LeMayhew, there goes Ryan Zimmerman, uh, Josh Bell right before your pick. On the 17-18 turn, you go Animal Sanchez to get your fifth starting pitcher. And then Kyle Tucker and Cl- uh, Corbin Burns go. A couple more youngsters. Uh, Brent Chester must love those young picks there. And you go Kevin Kiermeyer, who could be an insane value here if he can just stay on the field. So give me your thoughts on uh, Animal Sanchez at the end of round 17 and Kiermaier at the start of round 18. Yeah, well, I, I love Anibal Sanchez. He's a guy who I owned for most of last year. Um, you know, like right out the gate last year, his skills were really nice. So I think I picked him up in like the middle of uh, April on some of my 15-team leagues. He's um, He just has really nice skills. Like when you look at the skills, the swinging strike rate is really nice. The O swing is really nice. In-zone contact is really nice. So the strikeout skills – a little bit of some concern in the control metrics. He's not in the zone a ton. Um, and he, uh, you know, his first pitch strike hasn't been uh, tremendous, um, but, you know, good enough. And the skills are really nice. I like the Nationals as a team. I think they're going to be very good. I think they have a deep rotation. They've got a solid bullpen with Trevor Rosenthal and Doolittle closing it out there. So I like that a lot. And I just felt like he's a guy who the valuation of him is just wrong because of, you know, both the pro- the projections because they're relying too much on like the past two or three years. And when you look at his pitch mix, you know, he's got, I think it's his changeup, which is one of the better changeups in baseball, at least from a swinging strike perspective. He started throwing that more. He introduced a cutter as kind of his, his, uh, his uh, hard pitch, if you will, his fastball. Um, and that really did well for him. And so that's one of the reasons why the control metrics went a little bit south. But they're that, they're, they went south because, you know, batters didn't have as good of a time hitting it either. Had a very low BABIP, which you know he 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 earned according to a lot of the you know according to X stats. But I'm not banking on that. I don't think he's going to be as good as last year, where I think his ERA was in the, was in the high twos. You know, but if he, he can be like a 3.5 guy with a K per nine, you know, and and a, and a WHIP around 1.2, I think he could do that. And, and I think that's a really nice going right there. And he's not a huge volume guy, but he'll throw you know five six innings. Uh, every single time out, and um, he's been a pretty consistent performer last year with the new pitch arsenal. So, felt pretty good about that. Kiermaier was just another instance of trying to stay balanced with my with the power and speed. You know, with Pilar and Kiermaier, I think I'm probably getting 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases in some form. I don't like Kiermaier as a player, um, but going where he was going right here in the 18th round, I felt like you know, even if he doesn't perform in batting average, which is my major concern for him, he's probably going to play a decent amount in center field. Um, and I think, you know, he'll hit for some power and he'll steal some bases. And if he ends up getting injured, then he ends up, he ends up getting injured. And, you know, I look for a replacement on the waiver wire, but until then I feel like he can be a solid contributor in terms of stolen bases and, and a little bit of power. So again, like trying throughout my draft, not to, 
you know, to have a very balanced team where I don't have anybody who's dragging any one category down too much uh, to compensate and then hoping that, you know, through some additions or maybe outperforming some of the projections, like I hope a, a couple guys can do, uh, that my batting average is able to be at least uh, somewhat okay. So that's kind of what I was thinking at, at this turn, you know, at this point in time. There was other guys who I was thinking about. Uh, Brad Peacock went a little bit later. I definitely thought about Peacock um, at this particular place, um, but, you know, ended up going uh, going with the Sanchez, Sanchez Kiermaier. Yeah, I like it. Like you said, it keeps to your balanced approach. And Kiermaier could be a, a great pick if he just stays healthy. Uh, a couple of guys I might have debated with him on was like Steven Souza and Trey Mancini. They went uh, right after him. They're a little more risky and uh, might hurt you in certain categories where if Kiermaier stays healthy, like you mentioned, level all the way through. Um, your next pick is Francisco Cervelli. But what I want to ask you real quick is right after Trey Mancini, so two, four, six, eight picks after your Kiermaier pick was Wellington Castillo, Beef Wellington. With Salvi Perez going down, were you like already targeting Cervelli or were you, was this, was uh, Perez's news not out yet or do you just not like Wellington Castillo? Yeah, um, I, um, I'm i not sure when I, I learned that Sal Perez was going to be out. I think it might have been after the Kiermaier pick. Um, I like Wellington Castillo um, a decent amount. I, I do think that I have Cervelli ahead of him in projections. Um, uh, I can double-check that really quickly. But, um, uh, you know, I like Cervelli a lot. So it would have been close. I do like... I do like Castillo. I may have gone with him just because I think the power um, may be a little bit better um, than Cervelli. Yeah, Castillo is projected for 15 home runs, you know, whereas Cervelli is projected for 10 home runs. So I might have gone with Castillo. They're both $8 players. Um, he had fallen a little further, I think, than he usually does, or at least it felt that way. So Castillo might have been the guy that I went with in that case just because I think he may be a little bit better of a replica than um, – of Sal Perez than Cervelli is, but I really do like Francisco Cervelli this year. The the batted ball quality that he had um, at the beginning of the year, and particularly, and the plate discipline and the zone contact before he got injured was uh, was really really good. And so I think if he can um, if he can kind of get some of that back, obviously he's got a really good uh, catcher hitting catcher behind him um, in Elias Diaz, and so that gives me a little bit of concern. But I do like Cervelli a lot, um, you know, especially where he's going in drafts. I feel like he's he's really nice, even catch one if you're, you know, if, if you've waited that long. But he's a really nice catcher, too, a, a real top-end guy um, from my perspective. So I was happy to get him uh, get him in, in him where I did, although I think it, it was a little bit earlier maybe than he usually goes. But I didn't want to mess around with any of the other catchers that were still up on the board. I, I didn't like them a ton. And so that's why I went with Cervelli here. You know, it may have been a little bit early. You know, Tucker Barnhart went, uh, you know, although Tucker Barnhart uh, didn't go, didn't go. Uh, he went before I would have had another pick. So I don't know. I, I feel okay about the Cervelli pick, obviously. The, the big thing for the Sal Perez that, that hits me good is that would have given me a huge uh, advantage, obviously, at that position over other people. And I was a little soft on power. I normally am coming out of drafts. Um, an RBI. And so, um, you know, the Sal Perez just hurt because he kind of, 
was best at some of the categories that I hadn't prioritized necessarily throughout the draft. And so that was, that was pretty painful right there, but Oh, oh well it happens. And I was really lucky with Sal Perez. I got him. He, he I got, I drafted him the latest of anybody. That's why I drafted him. He was at one pick one thirty four at that point. And I have him as like a top 50 player overall because of the, the two catcher bump that he gets. And so I was really excited to get him where I was. It's just, it's somehow, sometimes that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, I love the value you've got, and, and uh, next year it'll be just fine. And take him again in the ninth round. There's no problem with that at all. Uh, I got Cervelli as my catcher too as well, so I, I like that pick a lot. Um, and to finish off your 19-20 turn, another Pittsburgh Pirate, a guy you like quite a bit. And, again, you got Chester going with Dylan Patances, which is okay, and then Chris Paddock. He's got a young team coming over there. But um, you went Adam Frazier with your 20th round pick. I know you're really, really high on Adam Frazier. Lots of flexibility on your roster. What is it that people need to know about Adam Frazier? Yeah, I mean, I really like Frazier a lot. I really don't like second base this year. Um, if you don't get one of the first, like, 10 to 10 or 12 second basemen this year, I think it's really shallow pickings. Uh, Frazier is a guy that I like, um, uh, you know, a good deal. Um, last year, he, he went down to the minors. Um, and after he came back from the minor, uh, the minors, he played in 55 games. 196 plate appearances, a 306 batting average, 29 runs, 27 RBI, seven home runs, and one stolen base. Um, and then his skills were really nice. He's always had pretty good plate discipline, 28.1% in those last 55 games. His in-zone contact has always been really good, 92% um, over those last 56 games. So that helped support that really nice batting average. And then his hard hit rate nearly <laughs> – nearly doubled from where it was earlier in the year to 45.3% over those 196 plate appearances. And his fly ball rate also jumped about 10% up to 34%. He's going to be leading off for the Pirates um, from everything that I've seen. He should play every day. So the opportunity is there. He may get some platooning against lefties. um, But, you know, I, I really like the skills. I think he'll hit for a good batting average at least. Being at the top of the lineup, he should get a decent number of runs. Uh, The RBIs won't be great, but those power numbers are really intriguing. Obviously, it's a small sample size, but the skills really supported um, what he was doing there. And so he's a guy that's going like in the three, like around 350. I got him around pick 300 here. Um, But I just really like what he's doing. I think he's a guy who can contribute, you know, a high batting average, maybe like 70 – 70 to 80 runs, you know, 60, maybe RBI, you know, uh, 15 home runs, and then a handful of stolen bases. So at this point in the draft, that's, that's fine for me. And then maybe I'll, I'll just know that I, I want to look for some middle infielders and second baseman um, on the wire uh, early on in the season. Um, so, you know, I felt good about getting Frazier here. I reached a little bit, but it's because I was in desperate need um, of uh, uh, middle infielder at that point and midfield middle infield shallows out so quickly um, that I really wanted to pounce on him and not feel regret of trying to wait uh, and, and get somebody else. Yeah, no, I dig it. Uh, we get through 300 picks hitting around 21. A lot of starting pitchers kind of questionable starting pitchers starting to go off the board. And then at the end of round 21, you go with one of my favorite values, like after Frazier outfielder Soler, Kiki Hernandez, who I do like, uh, Leonis Martin, Brian Anderson, Jock Peterson. Next outfielder off the board is yours at the end of round 21, and Avisil Garcia hitting cleanup for the D-Rays. I like that quite a bit. 
and then you wrap it around with Mike Miner, another starting pitcher acquisition for your squad. You took Mike Miner in front of the likes of Luke Weaver, Aaron Sanchez, Michael Fulmer, Sean Newcomb, who I know you don't like, uh, Freddie Peralta, and Joe Jimenez. So Garcia, Miner, what, what do you got for that 21-22 turn? Yeah, you know, this was a, a situation where I was thinking about what my team um, really needed, and what it needed was some power uh, with uh, the possibility of a decent batting average. And I think Garcia right now, um, you know, he is supposed to bat cleanup for the for the Rays. Uh, they went out and got him, so they obviously like him as a player. Nobody's ever really doubted his skills, um, you know, uh, or not necessarily the skills, but just that he could be really good. Like, he's a very, very talented player. He just hasn't necessarily put it together fully. But I love what I um, – what I saw last year for him, he battled a ton of injuries from the get go. Um, but when you pace out, you know, what he did last year to 600 plate appearances, you know, 242, 76 runs, 30 home runs, 74 RBI, six stolen bases, he's actually pretty fast. Like he's not a good base runner, so I'm not anticipating that he's going to steal. But I saw a graphic that was put up uh, on Twitter that he actually has the highest sprint speed of anybody in Rays camp so far. Wow. Um, which I found to be, you know, fairly amusing because you don't really put that on him. But he had a 278 BABIP last year uh, with a 304 expected BABIP. So I don't think the batting average at 242 uh, was who he is as a hitter. Uh, his career mark of BABIP is 332. And I don't think he's going to hit 330 either, but I do think he can hit like 280, um, you know, this year. Uh, he increased his fly ball percentage, his hard hit percentage, his barrels. He has one of the higher, um, like a top 40 max exit below guy. Um, and so I like that a lot as well. You know, he was going around an ADP of 200 last year. Um, and so to get him this late on when I think, you know, obviously there's question marks about whether he's going to be platooned or not, but it seems like the Rays are going to give him every shot to be uh, the, the DH, at least the full-time DH or else be the DH sometimes and play in the outfield sometimes too. Um, and so I, I really felt like he was one of the few guys left that I felt comfortable with both the batting average and the power if he plays. Um, and so that's kind of why I was going with him right here, because with Sal Perez getting injured, I really needed to get power. Uh, but I unfortunately also couldn't uh, really sacrifice uh, batting average too much in, in trying to get it. I like it a lot. Um, you took Mike Miner on the turn. Uh, some get nervous about him pitching in Texas. Some don't. He showed some pretty good stuff last year. You, you, we'll kind of uh, skim through some of these later picks because it gets really interesting. It's a lot of kind of draft dependent. But yeah, like your later pitchers after round twenty, you had the likes like Mike Miner, Matt Harvey. You got your boy Boxberger, um, Jose Urania, who, who I know you took in the barf as well, and Sandy Alcantara, and then I believe it was Kyle Zimmer. Uh, with your last pick, it got cut off on the screen. Yeah. But uh, a lot of depth here with Miner, Harvey, Boxberger, Urania, Alcantara, and Zimmer. Uh, just give me your thoughts on those kind of, kind of guys in, as a whole. Like, what were you looking for to add that to your your kind of starters you got earlier that your stable starters? Yeah, as I mentioned before, like I knew kind of uh, not having you know when I when I went with Rich Hill and Musgrove and even Darvish, like those aren't necessarily guys who are known for their volume, and so I knew that. I would want to go for some higher skilled guys later on um, who, you know, to provide some volume, you know, and so maybe it's just to mix and match like 
depending on um, who their matchup is or if they have two starts that week, whatever it is. Uh, just really quickly, as quickly as I know how to do things, as, as you and your listeners know, I can talk for a decent amount of time. Uh, Mike Miner, um, you know, the things that I like about him, uh, second highest uh, four-seam spin rate in baseball uh, behind Justin Verlander, doesn't actually work the ball up high in the zone, which is traditionally what you want to see from high spin rate guys. I think that's one of adjustment he could make to, to, to take a step forward. He's a high fly ball percentage pitcher, which is a little bit dangerous for home runs, especially in Texas, but also keeps the Babbitt low and has kept him with a fairly reasonable whip last year. His velocity also went up in the second half from 92.6 in April uh, to September when he was at 94. And remember, he converted a back to starter from a reliever. And there's been you know talk about how he wants to be a workhorse this spring. Take with it what you will for that. But his changeup is also a very, very good pitch. Um, and the four-seam fastball high in the zone followed with the changeup uh, is, a, is a nice little thing. He's also got a curveball, um, uh, you know, and his slider improved towards the end of last year, too, in terms of the swinging strike rate as the velocity increased. So he's got all the makings of a guy who can put it all together. And so that's kind of why I went um, for him. Uh, for uh, Candelario, um, Candelario is a guy who is going to get a ton of plate appearances with the Tigers. He's either going to bat first probably, or in the heart of that lineup. Um, before he got injured last year, he was putting it together. Play discipline was solid. In zone contact was solid. Hard hit rate was solid. He was starting to hit the ball in the air a little bit more and then he got injured and it kind of fell off, but he still put together a pretty good season, um, overall. And so I think he can kind of take the next step, um, this year. I like him a lot. It's just a kind of a late round corner infielder guy. Matt Harvey is a guy that I own in pretty much every single league. I have him in Barf as well. Uh, towards the end of last year, over his last 10 starts, I believe his swinging strike rate was around 12%. The key thing for me with Harvey is that his curveball started to work again. That was kind of a signature pitch of his when he was really, really good back in the day. His velocity is okay at like 94, uh, but his curveball uh, towards the end of last year, the swinging strike rate was above 20% in the last two months of the season. And so I'm kind of banking a little bit on that. Um, In addition to the Angels, I'm really interested in the Angels because they've gone like with a very, uh, they've reinforced their commitment to to analytics. They've hired a bunch of driveline guys. So I'm really interested to see what they can do with Harvey there. Um, He's looked good so far in spring after being injured. Boxberger was just a Hail Mary on like a, you know, I got him 75 picks after he normally goes. Um, Like he's, he's drawn to me or something like that. Uh, but, you know, the skills are okay. I don't love him. Don't love the situation necessarily, although I think Kansas City plays well for a five-ball pitcher like him. I think he's better than Wiley Peralta. So this is kind of my hope and a prayer for a third closer. Mark Trumbo's a guy who had like a, a, a period of time last year when he was really, really good, and then he got injured and he was gone. But, you know, he's two years removed from putting together a monster season. You know, he still has above league average, you know, barrel rates. He's still... Um, you know, he hits a little few too many ground balls, I think, but he still he can still hit for power, and that's what I was looking at here. I think he's going to bat, you know, in the middle of the lineup for the Orioles, so the counting stats will be there. Jose Arena, I might be the only guy in fantasy baseball who likes her, Jose Arena this year. He's like top fifteen or top ten in velocity this year. He started throwing um, his slider really improved towards the end of last year, um, and hitters just have not been able to get to do a lot off of Arena. And his swinging strike rate was up to slightly better than league average for a starting pitcher towards the end of last year. Definitely has some control metric issues, but 
you know, I'm, I'm willing to bank a little bit on that velocity um, and the possibility that he could integrate the slider a little bit more to improve the skills. And even last year, his, he had an ERA under four and, you know, the whip was okay. And so even if he repeats that, uh, doing what he did for me, then that's fine. Sandy Alcantara, he wasn't really on my radar. The one thing I love about him is his changeup. It is very, 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 very good. Uh, 25% plus strike rate, uh, gets folks to chase outside the zone. Um, his velocity is up three miles per hour uh, this spring. Um, and so that was enough for me to kind of take a shot at Alcantara. Al- Alcantara. Sorry for the pronunciation uh, right there. You know, I don't, I think he's more of like a bullpen guy from everything that I read, but who knows, like if he'll take that, um, uh, that last step. And then Hunter Dozier is a guy that uh, I really like the skills, uh, very high in zone contact rate towards the end of last year. Uh, the ground ball rate was pretty, was lower than league average. Uh, he had a, one of the higher hard hit uh, rates um, towards the end of the year last year, and his barrel rate was at 7% over the course of the year. He should get every day at bats uh, somewhere in that Royals lineup, and with Sal Perez getting injured, he may even bat uh, more in the middle of the lineup. And so that's just kind of like a – he also is first and third, so that kind of covers a, three positions there in terms of uh, corner infielder, first base, and third base. Um, so really like him. And then I took a just – a wing and a prayer on Kyle Zimmer. I already had Boxberger. Somebody had taken Wiley Peralta and Kyle Zimmer is throwing 96 in spring. Uh, he has not given up a run. It's a really good story. He worked in driveline this summer. Um, and so, you know, if nobody else works out, maybe he'll get an opportunity. And I could see the Royals doing something where Boxberger and, um, and Peralta really struggle in spring or they don't have confidence in them. You know, Zimmer, Zimmer could, you know, he's, he would, could be a good trading candidate for them, right? A guy who uh, until recently was, you know, he was DFA'd by them and um, he had some prospect pedigree, but, you know, if they were able to get some value out of him as a closer, you know, and that's a pretty nice story to a guy coming really from the end of his career back into the big leagues to be the closer, you know, worse things could happen. So his ADP is like 750. I drafted him here. I felt a little bad about it afterwards. Um, you know, especially who was it? Uh, Eddie Al- Amalgar uh, drafted Jason Bargain, who I really like as a starting pitcher. You know, who I thought maybe I'd pick up uh, in the first fab run. But, um, you know, overall, like, you know, the, a lot of the guys later on, there's not a ton of great stuff there. So I just kind of focused on guys who recently have shown better skills or a reason why I think they might do well and really focusing on volume with starting pitchers there. No, I like it. It's, it's a lot of good flyers there. Alcantara's got some very intriguing stuff. Uh, Urania's a guy, maybe spot starter type stuff. He, he can be sneaky good. I agree on Matt Harvey. Big fan there. Uh, I took Trumbo late in my draft. I, I love that power upside at that point in the draft. And then Candelario's always had a kind of soft spot with me. The hit tool is really, really good. Just hasn't found the consistency yet. So definitely a lot to like there. Um, it, you might not, it might not stand out right now, but maybe it did as you were drafting it. If you can't think of anybody, it's totally fine. Were there any, like, just severe snipes when you were, like, waiting for a guy and then, boom, someone took him right before you? Um, you know, um, less less so, uh, I guess, snipes so much as just guys that – yeah, guys that I was hoping were going to get back to me. Uh, the Semyon one hurt. He shouldn't have gone there, right? Like, he totally should have. He should have been gone – before then, I was just like, 
felt like we were, he was so close to getting to me. And I really wanted Simmons, Polanco or Semyon uh, in that particular case. And so, um, you know, that was something where I ended up going after Bowers and, you know, before a couple picks. And the reason why I went with Bowers there too, is that, you know, I know I needed a first baseman at that point in time. And I knew that nobody else at first base was going to have speed. So if I wanted to keep pace and speed, uh, having him as my first baseman would be uh, pretty beneficial. So the Semyon one definitely hurt. If he had gotten back to me, I think that would have been a major, uh, major steal. You know, the Mondesi one we talked about with Bogart. I do have Bogart rated slightly higher, but the Mondesi stolen bases, I was at least intrigued there. David Price at 104 was another example of that. And then Hosmer almost getting back to me at pick 194 was kind of another example. Um, but, you know, like when it comes to sniping, like, you know, it's going to happen in, in a good draft. And and I think about it less so as sniping is just like guys making good picks at that point in the draft. Like if somebody, you know, sniped you on a guy by jumping ADP, you know, in the seventh or eighth round, you know, maybe – you know, that's a, that's a, that's a snipe. But you know, in those cases, it's just a matter of me hoping that I got lucky and a guy who I valued pretty highly was going to get to me. And, and there was a couple instances where I was a couple short, pick short, but overall, you know, the draft kind of went how I had hoped for the Perez injury, obviously, you know, hurt things. And it changed the complexity of the, of the back end of my draft, just because I needed to target power, maybe a little bit more than I would have liked um, power and RBIs. And so, you know, but overall, like the team, I feel okay about, I think in the projected standings, I'm like, I may be third in the league, uh, but that also probably includes Sal Perez. So I'm over the pack in the projections, but I feel like I have a balanced, balanced team, which is a little bit of an insurance policy. Like there's nobody who's going to get injured and just totally destroy my home run totals or totally destroy my stolen base totals or, or my batting average outside of Jose Altuve. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I have a nice base and it's just a matter of making the right picks and starting the right guys week to week so I can maximize the, the, the profit on it. Which team was Kenyatta Storen? Uh, Kenyatta Storen was team 10. Okay, because on Smarter's scale, he's the highest ranked out of this league. And he went uh, Sales Story, Rendon, Crush, Dahl, you got Kershaw. Took Eloy as a sneaky one. You got Hamilton. He kind of has a somewhat balanced approach, a little bit of a few. Like he got you on the Peacock pick you mentioned earlier. Um, he waited and got the Barnhart and Zanino back-to-back catchers, which is interesting. But, uh, you know, a pretty balanced team overall. I kind of like it. But um, that's who they have as uh, number one in your league. But your draft, like look at the overall projections, I, I find that hard to, to go with because – there's a lot of like crazy smart picks here. Like we've been talking about the whole time, just guys, like I mentioned where I would get guys in my draft compared to where they're going in your draft and whatnot. And it kind of just goes to show you where the mentality was in your draft. Um, we did barf together, 14 team OBP league. Uh, this is a 15 team bag and average, no trade league. How do you compare your, or how, what are your thoughts on your two teams? Like comparable wise? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I felt good about my about my. I felt really good about my barf draft. Um, you know, I felt like going into it. Uh, we drafted in February on February 9th, I think, so like early February. So, in a lot of times, it's before people have really had a chance to dive in. Um, I I haven't I haven't really played an OPP quality starts league before, so it was kind of new. I did a bunch of research just thinking about like 
you know, what the strategy is that I wanted to employ in BARF. And one of the things that became pretty clear pretty quickly to me in BARF is that, you know, the elite starting pitchers get additional value um, in quality start leagues because so few pitchers now go the six innings pitched required on a regular basis to get the quality start. Like the top eight in quality starts were like between 28 to 25 quality starts. And then there was just a huge drop down to like 18. And so because of that, I, I really targeted starting pitching early on. My first two picks in Barf were DeGrom and Bauer. One of the things that I like about um, OBP leagues is that a lot of folks do play average leagues. And so a lot of the ADP that you might go off of if you don't, you know, kind of do your own OBP valuations, um, you know, might send you, may, might, you know, provide some opportunities for a little bit of value uh, from an OBP perspective. And so I felt like there was a couple instances maybe uh, where that, you know, was the case in the draft. Um, you know, like I got, I got the Dick Bowers and Mark Kepler late. Um, both of them, I see their biggest weaknesses as their batting average. Uh, but, you know, they both have very good walk rates and very good eyes. And so I'm pretty good about that. I think overall, like my team, like Steven Souza, Andrew McCutcheon, you know, guys like that um, who uh, are better in OBP leagues um, because of their walk rates. Uh, Tra- Travis Shaw is in a similar position right there. So I felt pretty good about um, both of these drafts. You know, a lot of the same guys, Mike Miner, Joe Musgrove, Matt Harvey, uh, I have in, in this league, Jose Ureña um, as well. So, you know, I, overall, there's some trends. And in a lot of my drafts, I always find myself buying the same players every year. I'm like, all right, you got to diversify a little bit more. But if I value a guy higher than another guy or I like a few guys in a particular area of the draft, it's very hard uh, for me to pass up on them if I think that they're the best player. So I've done a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of playing around. But I really like uh, I really like my draft my two drafts so far. Barf so more so than the TGFBI. I think the challenge with the TBI TGFBI thing is that I think everybody has a really good team, and one of the things that's very difficult is before every draft, I have a spreadsheet where I have my targets for where I want to get to. I never get to my targets because it's essentially what would get you first place in every single category. Um, so essentially, like fourteenth place plus or, or uh, second place plus one in all of the categories for the last year. So I use like the main event instance in this. And, and normally I'm like, I'm not at those marks obviously, but like I'm, I'm closer, you know, I'm in like the 90 percentile, you know, like maybe like uh, in the, in the mid nineties um, in the TGFBI draft, see where I did finish. Um, yeah. It was like high eighties, uh, you know, low nineties, um, you know, in terms of hitting 80th percentile in all of them, the only place I had that was in stolen bases. I was like 95% of the way to the 80th percentile in some of them. And so part of me is like, oh man, I'm not there. It was a bad draft. I didn't do well. Uh, and then another part of me is like, well, I've already taken Sal Perez out of that. And it's also like, you know, uh, there just was no value. Like all of the guys that I rely on to get me value and to get me closer to that total, um, are guys who who were going, they were gone. And so that value didn't exist. And so it was kind of like I had to totally um, reimagine what a successful draft looks like because I wasn't going to get close to any of those metrics. And if other people have, like I give them like a huge kudos, but I doubt that anybody is, is like fully satisfied out of that group about the way their draft went. 
only because like it was just such a such a difficult room uh, that it really suppressed like uh, your uh, accomplishing your goals for the draft that you set out to ahead of time. Yeah, no, that's well said. It's it, it's just tough to uh, set a certain bar when the bar is already set so high when you go into this draft room. So uh, you can only get as close as you can and, and go from there. And like you said, when when you won last year, the draft's just the first part of it. You got you have to work that wire. You have to do a lot of things that uh, a lot of roster management um, throughout the season. And with no trades, it makes it really interesting. Uh, makes yeah. you makes that balanced approach probably a little smarter at times. Uh, I know Rob Silver and others have said, you know. Don't treat it like a GPP in daily sports like some like to. You need to have that balance. You need to have that depth. Um, don't get too flashy and uh, and then work the wire like you, like you like to do. And and some of these other guys like uh, Vlad Sedler is phenomenal at it. Uh, Modica and those other guys, NFBC guys that uh, just they dominate year in and year out for a reason. So very interesting there. That's that's where I need to get better is the fab market. That's the one that gets me good. All right. Let's take – we have a listener question. We already answered one on, on Twitter. If people want to go follow the lead, it was – um, keeper league Severino or Fam? We both went Fam. I'm concerned about the shoulder of Severino and Fam. You know, his shoulder injury doesn't bug me as much, and I, I'm just a big Fam guy. The other question we all had Fam there. The other question is from J Dub at J Dub the Gamer. How did the unconventional bullpen use of the Rays impact your valuation of their pitchers, if at all? Yeah. Well, I think um, I think it depends. I mean, from everything that I've heard, um, you know, Charlie Morton is going to be a traditional starter. Tyler Glass now is going to be a traditional starter. Blake Snell is going to be a traditional starter. And they're going to use the opener and the other two. Uh, one guy that I like a lot um, is Yanni Chirinos. Um, he pitched pretty well last year. The skills improved last year as he pitched. Um, and so he was really good. And and the opener can be a real boon. Like, just look at Ryan Yarborough, right? Like, Ryan Yarborough was solid last year, but got a ton of wins because, man, once the opener's done, like, if you come in with a lead and you're the first guy to pitch, like, that's your win to take, right? Like, all you have to do is throw, you know, a third of an inning and you can lock up that win. Um, and you also bypass the first three batters, at least, of the batting order. And those are the best pit- those are the best hitters traditionally. Um, you know, maybe you get the cleanup guy, but, um, and so I think in those cases, like that's a boon to Yanni Chirinos, um, maybe Ryan Yarborough as well, if he's in that same role. And so that's what I would say is, is I would, that's one of like the early waiver wire targets in shallower leagues, at least maybe a guy like Yanni Chirinos or Jalen Beeks was a guy that I've used towards the end of last year as well. Um, you know, obviously Ryan Yarborough, if he's in that role again, but, the guys who follow the openers, if you're looking for wins, that's a really good way to scavenge them. And the Rays lineup is good enough where, you know, um, you know, a decent amount of the time they're going to be scoring in that first inning and and you can take advantage of it. So it kind of impacts some guys that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be rosterable as middle relievers um, or even as guys who start off and, and don't necessarily make it to the fifth inning every single time. Um, for the guys who the guys who are starting, like Snell, Morton and um, and Glass now, you know, I think Morton and Glass now, I don't see them going beyond six innings many times this year. They had real third time through the order challenges um, last year. Charlie Morton got eaten up the third time through the order. Like he would start off, start would be tremendous and then just implosion. Uh, he still ended up being, being very good, don't get me wrong, but uh, that's something that I think the Rays will be very hip to. Uh, you know, Snell is very good, obviously. And I think they are going to have a tremendous bullpen. I think 
you know, the Rays are one of those teams. I think you mentioned this maybe on the last podcast with Eno too, blah, blah, but the Rays are one of those organizations that you just kind of trust the way that they use players because they have a history of turning guys who are rejects from other organizations or who don't have as high a prospect pedigree and turning them into something more valuable. So I don't know. What about, what about you? What do you, what do you think about how it impacts the Rays? You pretty much nailed it. It's, it's, you know, in like bar, for instance, they suck because quality start league over wins. So you're you're screwed there. That one really stinks. But yeah, the wins leagues, I, I, I've had Yarborough in a couple leagues last year. I know I, I, in TGFBI, I had Torinos until he got hurt, and he was money. I, I really like Torinos. Like you said, good strikeout stuff there. I like him better than Yarborough. Yarborough got it done, but he had some questionable outings at times. But, um, yeah, I like Torinos. A guy like Stanix, interesting to pay attention to if you really want to play that 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 bullpen-type game because he, he's usually the opener. He'll go like one or two innings and strike out like five guys. So if you want to get real <laughs> weird with it. But, uh, yeah, if you're looking for wins, it's Torinos, it's Yarborough. And it's going to be really interesting because um, – I think we're going to see it a lot more this year in other teams too. Yeah, we saw, we saw it in the postseason um, on a lot of teams, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if you just go on roster resource and look at some of these starting rotations around baseball. It is bad. It is really, yeah. really bad. So there's uh, like okay. you you can make a case for probably at least a dozen teams that need an opener for the fourth or fifth starter. It, it, it's really bad. So um, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on as the season goes on. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out in Fab because it yeah. is a great source of wins. It is a phenomenal source. And the way people saw it play out last year, I'm curious how aggressive people are. Like, you know, if, you know, say a Ryan Yarbrough type, but for another team drops, how how much more does someone spend on a guy like that compared to, you know, your streamer where you're going to go for a buck or two? You're going to get a guy that you know is going to not have to face the heart of the order at the worst times or as often, per se. Going to get you four or five innings. Going to have a shot at a win. Ratio should be decent. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out the way since now we've got good kind of evidence, at least one sample of how it plays out. Yeah. And and your point about fab, I think is critical. Like that's one of the things that I'm going to be like all over first, first, uh, first, uh, what first time through the rotations is, you know, who are those guys who are open, who are, who are the openers and then who are the guys that are following them on teams? Because that, you know, could be really golden. Like imagine like somebody like the Padres, you know, having like a high skilled reliever pitching that first inning and having Matt Strom come in after that, you know, that would increase Strom's value uh, significantly. Um, you know, there's other guys like Robbie Erlin and other guys in, in that, just in that team who, you know, maybe could benefit from something like that. So I think it's going to, it's going to make things super interesting. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Is that a curiosity? Like, do you prefer wins as a category or do you prefer quality starts as a category? Um, God, that's a fun one. I wish Sammy Reed was on right now. I know, um, I know. Sammy's uh, in barf too, so. Yeah, I know his feelings on this. I think you got to go quality starts just the way things are going these days. But it's tough. It really is because I, I, the way I've always said it, I want quality starts because it's not fair when you have a guy like Jason, uh, Jacob DeGrom last year and what do you get, like nine wins? Like that's just no. – you, you, you got penalized for having literally the best pitcher probably in baseball last year. And that that's that's not right. Where in reality, I think you took him in barf because what do you have like twenty six quality starts or whatever, some crazy number yeah. that just puts you above and beyond. What I'd like to see done is change the way quality starts are judged. Instead of six innings and three earned runs or less, go seven innings and like two or three earned runs. Give that extra inning, make them go a little farther so you can't just piece it together with your bullpen. I think that would tweak a lot and kind of even out the playing field on it. But I I'm going to go quality starts. 
Okay. Yeah. It, uh, Sammy and uh, Greg from uh, the Varf League, who, um, who, who has a podcast, Roto Sauce, they had a conversation on their podcast and it was interesting. I like Sammy's idea of like a sliding scale. You know, maybe it's like, you know, five earned, five earned, five innings pitch, two earned runs and six and three or, or whatever it is. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably partial to the win. Um, you know, obviously like you have difficult dynamics with, you know, the openers, um, which creates additional opportunity for wins and cuts the opportunity for quality start. So even if a guy pitches six innings after that opener, you know, he's not going to get the quality start in that particular instance pitchers are going fewer and fewer into the sixth, you know, inning, even when they are pitching well, because managers are doing the right thing and getting them out of the game before they implode instead of waiting until it starts to happen. And, you know, so I could go either way. I probably lean a little bit towards wins, but I like being in a quality starts league because, you know, it just makes you, it, it adds another layer of strategy that you need to consider, which I find to be super super interesting. And it also devalues some players, you know, um, Ryan Yarborough was not, awesome to own last year uh in there and it's tough when my guys are only good because of their wins yeah no it changes things a lot and it's like uh that leaves obp instead of average like uh nfbc and that's that's a whole other animal like you were taking joey gallo super early because he deserved it unlike you know other leagues you kind of get sketchy about stuff like that so it's two different strategies i think we're going to see more and more obp leagues too it makes sense in, in the grand scheme of things but um, it, it's fun to see all the different ways you can tweak fantasy leagues and uh, make it work. And that's kind of the fun of the two we're in. It's kind of get both sides of the pie there. Yeah. Yeah. And doing that live draft was a lot of fun. I had a great time meeting you, um, meeting Sammy, meeting Greg, meeting Justin in person, um, you know, like a bunch of the guys who were there. Um, it was really fun to like just have that live draft. And I love that, like, you know, grabbing the grabbing the sticker, putting it up on the board, like that was awesome. Even though the board was pretty high and I'm kind of short and I needed to like stack two chairs on top of each other and then like get up there. But um yeah, that was a ton of fun. Yeah, that was a blast. There's nothing that beats for like any sport, but uh, baseball for sure, because A, it's long as hell. People don't understand when you're that many rounds with that many picks, it, it's a long day. But uh, live drafting is great because, you know, you get a, a great group together like we had, a ton of great guys. And it's just funny, you know, talking to each other, strategy, talking to players, like, oh, great pick or this. or There's so many different ways it went. And it was just, it was just fun talking baseball and hanging out for five or six hours or whatever it was. And uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's a, I remember the first uh, day I woke up to a Justin DM like two or three years ago now asking if I wanted to be in the bar fleet. I literally told my wife, I'm like, are you seeing this? Like, this, this is awesome. So yeah. like, I, I was like totally I've pumped made, on it. I've made it. I've made it. Exactly. So now it's like whatever we get to it every year, that email comes out to start planning the draft. It's it's pretty awesome. It's fun. It's uh, it's only once a year to hang out. We have football. We have baseball. But this last year we did football online because everyone's so busy. And it's hard to get everybody together for live drafts. And that's kind of – it's the only live one I do now. Like you said, it's the only live one you've ever done. Um, it, it's yeah. tough to uh, – it's tough to get that many people in a group to make it happen. And, uh, oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we're able to. We had to do it earlier this year, but I'm glad we were able to. Definitely. Yeah, it was it was a ton of fun. So, yeah, we, we talked a lot about my TGFBI squad. I'm interested to hear how you're – how are you feeling about yours? Okay, let me grab it real quick. Um, it's I like it. Obviously, the, the rankings like it. So Yeah, the projections um, are into it. Yeah, the, they're, they're big fans, which – Maybe Smod is no. I'm just kidding. Smod knows what he's doing. But, Smod, uh, Smod is stacking the deck. He's yeah. stacking the deck for the guys he's friends with on Twitter. 
Yeah, he's trying to be friendly to me here, but I had the sixth pick overall, and I'm happy I went JD number one. It was between JD, Yellick, and Acuna. We talked about it on your show. Yeah, we show. talked about that on the pod, yeah. I went JD number one. It was Garrett Cole and Carrasco, my 2-3 pick. Which nice. I got, got my Love bang, those bang. So I was a big fan of that. And then I went Eugenio Suarez um, and then got some steals with Johnny VR and Victor Robles. I'm huge on Victor. Everyone, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got to get – I gotta get him in something. I gotta get him in something. I don't have him yet, and I'm like fiending, like I'm like yeah. biting my nails. Maybe I, I'm gonna do some onlines in NFC. Maybe I'll get him there. Twelve team. He seems like make a lot of sense. So there you go. Uh, then I went like Felipe Vasquez at my seventh pick. Matt Olson at eight. I absolutely love that. I think nice. he's big, big boy stuff. Uh, my first really like the first eight, seven picks or eight picks. I have no problems with. I'm good with. Nine got dicey. I went and took Mad Bum. I just thought he fell too far at that point, and I'll take the gamble as my third starter. Um, at 10, another speed guy in my Rosario at shortstop. So between VR, Robles, and Rosario, I'm really happy with my speed situation. And it's not like I have a rabbit where if one guy goes down, I'm screwed. I got three guys that can give me all 20-plus stolen base with, with upside. So I'm happy there. Um, got my second closer, Jose Alvarado, in the 11th round. I'm not like 100% happy with that, the way things are starting to come out of camp, but uh, it is what it is. And then my 12th round pick, I was so excited when I drafted Josh James. And then the next morning, the news came out about his injury. So that was exciting. Um, it went JBJ in 13. He, he should be, he should be uh, if I remember correctly, like, uh, you know, he's out of the rotation initially, but he should be ready pretty early in the season, right? Yeah, he started throwing again later this past okay. week. So I, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that things will still go okay. I just got to put him on the bench for a bit. Uh, went JBJ, pretty happy with how his season ended last year, hoping it's not a fluke like it was a couple of years ago. I love that pick, JBJ. Did yeah, you see? 13, oh, we talked we talked about that quote that he had right on my on on my podcast when we were yeah, talking. I told, you who, I told you he was hitting coaches right now. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. JD Martinez is your hitting coach. Good things happen. Great, great. Um, and then I took another gamble, and this is where it kind of gets bad for me because if Bumgarner doesn't work out, and then my 14th round pick of Dallas Keuchel doesn't work out, we're in trouble. Wasn't mm-hmm. over the moon with that, but again, he kept falling, and I'm sitting there going, "Okay, um, Kinta Maeda just went." Then it was, I guess, I could have went Colin McHugh or Jesus Lazardo, but I was with Keiko, not my smartest or best moment possibly. But I came back around 15 with Joe Musgrove, so I was happy with that. Joe, uh, 16th Wellington Castillo, 17th round Max Kepler, very happy with those. Uh, 18th. Max. Yeah, 18th, Josh Bell, 19th, uh, Francisco Cervelli. So all in all, pretty pumped on the way things feel like. I'm telling you, it was just weird. It just Everything kind of worked for me for the most part. Um, the 20th round pick, since I was kind of sketchy with Alvarado, I went and got Hunter Strickland closer for Seattle to kind of give me a, a balance there, which was nice because I was looking at Jeremy Jeffers. He went right before Strickland, so that saved me there. That worked out well. Um, round 21, Cole Calhoun, big fan of that one. Uh, Kiki Hernandez at 22. I love the flexibility there. I think he's in, he's got so much sneaky power that people don't pay attention to because they just think he doesn't play enough. Um, round 23, my, my late pitchers, I went just kind of stability with upside. I went like Derek Holland around 23, Jeff Samarja around 25. I gambled on Merrill Kelly in round 26. And then some of my late round bats, Mark Trumbull around 24. I got Ryan McMahon around 27. I was pretty happy with that gamble. Uh, round 28, Adam Jones. Round 29, Ben Zobers. He's leading off for the Cubs. I'll take that chance. And then uh, my last pick was just like a power pick. He's leading off for now, and Curtis Granderson. Nothing fancy, but uh, 30th pick or 30th round pick, uh, I'll, I'll give it a chance. So all in all, I'm happy with it. Uh, like my starting, nice. my starting team, I really like a lot. The bench, 
It's more just kind of stability, nothing flashy. But when injuries happen, that's when the fun begins. There you go. Yeah, and like that's the thing is I feel like it really thins out after pick 250. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it doesn't in other years, but it just feels very light to me. Um, there's like nobody I'm super excited about. And maybe that's just because there's so few, there's so much volatility and playing time and things like that now that it's just hard to really solidify behind a particular player. So, yeah, like that, that's where guys were all trying to take like chances on guys like Justice Sheffield or just other kind of young kind of flashy things or does Dylan Bundy rebound. And I get all the theories. And at that point in the draft, why not? I understand it. I just went with more stability in mind because I liked where my start was. I was like, why take chances now when I could, if something goes wrong, I can fill in with something I'm comfortable with. So yeah. that's where I went there. Usually in the past, I think that's where I get in the trouble. I like to take more chances. And I think that's what gets me pretty good. It just takes one or two injuries and you're just completely screwed. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I can't wait. We're getting so, so yeah. close. It, it's just, I around know the it's nuts, now. right? Yeah. It's uh, what is it? It's May 10th. And yeah. The Mariners and A's play like what the twenty fifth or something it's like two two two. I think they play on the twentieth. Oh, twentieth! So we're ten days away. Something Even like that, better. yeah. Oh man, it's gonna be great. But it's be all right, nice. all right, my friend. Let's wrap this bad boy up. It was a pleasure talking TGFBI and everything else with you. Uh, before we go, let everybody know again what you got going on, where they can find you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Bubba. I really appreciate um, the invite to come on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, um, especially for, you know, two hours at a time. Um, uh, you can, uh, folks can find me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Uh, the website is BatFlipCrazy.com. Uh, the podcast is also BatFlipCrazy. Just search for that uh, in your, you know, iTunes or whatever your podcast platform is. Um yeah, definitely engage. Uh, I really enjoy conversations and talking baseball and, um, you know, uh, especially with you, Bubba. Um, so hit me up and follow me on Twitter. And yeah, I really appreciate the time. No, I appreciate it, man. I, I always enjoy talking with you and we'll, we'll definitely do it again. Uh, Toby also recorded with uh, Greg Smith. You mentioned him in Barf. He's been on my podcast. Uh, great, great stuff he's got over there. It's usually a two quarterback podcast, but he's he's venturing out. He's talking some yeah. baseball and some other stuff. Greg is great. Dude. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that one drop and uh, give that a listen as well. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned on Twitter, it's a two parter. We got through the infield in, in two and a half hours. So, uh, the second part we're going to do later in, later in the week, but it was a lot of fun to sit down with him as well. Um, it was awesome to have like two barf related, um, uh, podcasts going on the same day. So, I love it. I love it. But uh, thanks for joining me again, and we'll do it again sometime. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 151 with Bat Flip Crazy, talking TGFBI and much, much more. Catch you guys later. a home policy from American Family Insurance because you'll feel protected no matter how the wind blows. Also, you can keep enjoying the home of your dreams. And our expert agents can help you save up to 23% when you bundle home with auto. 
Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance. Get a quote? Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.